Escape from Plan A. I need a formula. I need something to say to myself when I begin thinking obsessionally, obsessively. Well, the Gilbert and Sullivan fans in this room will remember Ruddy Gore, and they will remember Mad Margaret, and they will remember that she was married to a fellow named Sir Despard Murgatroyd, and she used to go nuts every five minutes or so in the play. And he said to her, we must have a word to bring you back to reality. And the word, my dear, will be Basingstoke. So every time she got a little nuts, he would say, Basingstoke. And she would say, Basingstoke it is, and she'd be fine for a little while. Well, you know, I'm from the Bronx. I can't say Basingstoke. But I had something better. And it was very simple. It was, ah, fuck it. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. Um, I'm on with Teen. Hey. And Jess. And before we get into it, I'll just do a little housekeeping like we usually do. Um, you know, if you guys like us, please rate us. We're on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all the all the places where you can find podcasts. And, um, you know, leave a comment, reach out. Uh, we, all, you know, we love getting feedback. Um, uh, We've been email. getting great feedback. We have I, been. I, I've, I've really been enjoying reading the emails. We should we should respond to them, right? Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I really do enjoy enjoy the emails. I think it keeps we, us uh, motivated. Yeah, we all really do. Um, we've been getting great feedback, um, and we really appreciate it. And if you want to send more or uh, send a, a a note to us, uh, the email address is editor dot at gmail dot com. Uh, we always appreciate it. So. Um, this episode, I think... Oh, I, I, I kind of want to say one one thing. Uh, we've been getting really nice feedback, so thank you so much for you, to you guys. Uh, it's really helpful, and it's really good to know that what we're doing is helpful. Uh, but also, if you hate us for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, I'd also be interested in knowing why. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, shoot us a line, yeah. we'll talk. We, we thrive on conflict, and uh, <laughs> we, we like it. We like, we like disagreement. We, yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. So on, on this episode, um, we wanted to talk about, you know, I think, which is a large topic that doesn't really get a lot of attention or isn't talked about in the way that we want to talk about. And that's the idea of depression. And, um, you know, it, it's a topic we've been mulling for a while. You know, we always, so we, we, we talk about it amongst ourselves. But, um, you know, this past week, we really got into it. And then we figured, you know what, let's jump on the pod and just talk about it and get our ideas out there. So I know, Teen, you have a lot of things you wanted to say. Yeah, well, we had a lot to say to each other. And I think I kind of wanted to revisit that conversation because I thought it was an interesting one about what depression is and who has suffered it and who hasn't. And I think one of my problems with the way depression is talked about is it's overly clinical. Like it's yeah. treated as if it's a disease or it's treated as if it's, um, you know, not that dissimilar from a skin condition or something like you right. could, you could identify it, you could go and, and treat it and then, you know, you'll get better. And there's probably some truth to that model, but you know, I know people who have been, um, diagnosed with depression and have gone on antidepressants and it, it, it doesn't really work that way. Like it doesn't, See, it's it does seem to treat symptoms, but it it doesn't even like to talk about underlying causes. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, as far as I can tell, when bad things happen to you, they'll say like, okay, well, these are these exogenous events that sort of stress you. But see, you have depression like in you. It's like already in you. And it's just th th these events are just triggering it. And I just feel that, you know, the, the way that I, I like I said, and, and, and Mark, Mark and I have argued over whether I've actually experienced depression. And I'm, <laughs> I, maintain that I, I maintain that I have not, but, he, but you're not convinced. But um, I, I, I would say that uh, I feel that there is, in, in, in making depression a disease, spoken about as in terms of a disease, that no matter how much you have, you know, a nice looking psychiatrist on, you know, or Michael Phelps or whoever on an advertisement saying it's not, there's no stigma to it. It's like saying, don't think of a white elephant. The second I say mm -hmm. there's no stigma to it, there's a stigma to it. And it, there's, it's inescapable to me if we continue talking about it like it's a disease rather than I think something that all people can, uh, it's a state that all people are able to fall into you don't have to be a depressive person that's true is my theory i don't know whether that's absolutely true or not but i feel like it's true and uh and i don't see a particular amount of harm in believing that um and i also feel that you know it's really the it's the exogenous event it's the it's the thing that's making you depressed which is the problem not you um, and so I really believe, I've always believed in that. I've never really bought into the idea of depression as some kind of unique medical condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, I'll, I guess I'll start from there, but that's, that's kind of where our, our, um, our conversation started. It's worth noting at this point, uh, none of us, n none of us three here are mental health professionals in any sense yeah. of the word. Um, we've all had experiences, um, with, uh, uh, depression, you know, we've probably, we've had run-ins with the, the mental health system, et cetera. What we're really talking about is a social, you know, the common man's understanding, uh, of depression and how it plays out in interpersonal dynamics, um, not at the clinical level. Um, so we're not trying to lay out what the terms of depression are or anything. It's just... Uh, what what we see in how the term gets thrown about in discourse right. and in how people relate to each other. Yeah, and uh, nor, I mean, one nor thing to are add we, to the, yeah. yeah, nor are we questioning, you know, the efficacy of, you know, antidepressants and going to see a professional, nothing like that. That to me, I'm not, I don't think any of us are questioning that that's important, especially for like it, acute depression. It can be, where, yes, it can be. Where, yeah, where you're having trouble functioning in life. We're not talking yeah. about that. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. And for and treatment methodologies, what what I do know of depression, uh, it does take into account, you know, so you know, social effects, right? Um, it a, a rigorous, properly applied uh, um, course of therapy for you know an act, a, a clinical depression, a person with clinical depression um, takes does uh, take all of these factors into account. It, what we're really yeah, talking yeah. about is that. In everyday parlance, uh, there's a lot of things missing from the dialogue that tends to shut people out and shut down any kind of uh, nuance in a discussion about depression. It's too often used as a label to shut down people uh, rather than something that kind of adds a little more nuance to something that someone might be saying. Uh, in, in common parlance, you never say someone like got depression. You, you say they have depression, right. which kind of implies that this kind of this was some uh, germ that they that was just spontaneously generated inside of them, right? It completely t d strips away any uh, 
relationship between the between the person who has depression and the outside world um, or, or they use the word are like it's a you're, it's a being yeah right? and it, i think that's a that has some that's pretty problematic because it just assumes right. that this is an innate characteristic of this person right like you um, never say that like, you are cancer right you you, you know you yeah. you have it and you can be cured of it and then you're done right yeah, which kind of puts depression uh, on the same terms as like as an identity marker. Yes, um, exactly. And as far as the stigma part, uh, teen, I'm I'm totally on board with you on that one. Um, I always found it annoying that it's people who are uh, successful in some way who are allowed to say that they have depression. You know, you win nine Olympic medals, and then you can come out and say you have depression, and we all clap for you. Uh, if you're, it's it's like treating it as something that's overcomeable, right? So dis, it's just saying that you have depression is just basically like saying you won, you know, you won nine gold medals with one hand tied behind your back, almost. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. Of that. I, I, yeah. Just to add to that, I think you know, and I saw like a, I saw a subway ad recently where they were saying, go see your, um, go see your therapist or go see your, uh, you know, psychiatrist. It, it really helped me. And it's Michael Phelps, and I'm like. See, that sets up this idea that the more successful you are, the less susceptible you are to, um, to depression, which it automatically creates this inverse idea that if you're mm -hmm. depressed, it's probably because you're not that successful. So again, it's like that, don't think of a white elephant. The second they put Michael Phelps in right. his gold medals and say, even I get depressed, it automatically reinforces the idea that your lack yeah. of success is the reason you're depressed, right? And right. It, it just further entrenches the... Uh, uh, stigma by trying to combat it. Um, it yeah, you're not it, trying to say that the stigma isn't. You know, they're not trying. They're not trying to say, look, there's a stigma, but nobody cares. That's kind of what it's saying. It's like, yes, we understand the stigma, but we don't care. But what it's not saying is that the stigma is false. That the stigma doesn't exist. Right. Right. Because right. in that yeah. formulation, if you say stigma, but we don't care, it's already basically giving up the point Existing. that it exists. It, it exists, right? <laughs> right? So why would why would why would I have to tell you the stigma doesn't exist if it if it exists, right? Why would I need to put in a subway ad with Michael Phelps on it if we didn't? Obviously, everyone thought depression was a was a sign of your loserdom, right? right. So yeah. there's there's a flip I, side to that one too, uh, which is that if you get a grip on your depression, you mm -hmm. will be Michael Phelps, or that in some right. way you should aspire to a state like these superstars, uh, super successful people who also happen to have the same condition. Um, yeah, it's Justin, um, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I I'm probably the one that's uh, you know that's like been closest to the the way that it's treated because when I was in you know like right after high school and college and then a little bit out of college. Um, you know, I was being treated for it. And um, it, like you said, Jess, there is an element of the treatment. Um, and I think it was still fairly new. I mean, this was like 15 years ago, but it was still fairly new that they would um, have a lot of what they call cognitive behavioral therapy as part of um, the treatment for depression. Um, so instead of just giving you pills and saying, you know, go on your way and get healed, um, they would pair it with what they call this cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's really about examining sort of like how you react to the world and, um, you know, thinking about um, what you can do uh, that's different than what you've done before, maybe, um, that wasn't working. 
right? So you're, you're asked to like think about how you react to the things and figure out whether, you know, maybe it's contributed to, um, uh, to these feelings of depression or, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, and then try to like develop better habits and, but, you know, again, it's much more about you as an individual and how you have to change uh, and uh, maybe just persevere through it. And if you can just push through, then, um, you know, you'll, you'll do better. And then even if you don't feel better, you'll, you'll do better um, and you'll be able to function. Uh, and that's sort of just really, you know, that, that completely, uh, like we were talking about, it, it just completely um, pushes all the responsibility onto the individual. And it doesn't have any, it doesn't uh, uh, confront any of the societal stuff or the external things, really, that might be contributing to it that have nothing to do with your own life. It could just be larger forces at play. Yeah, so well, it really, and that, and it, it almost has to be that way, right? Because yeah. it's not the job of the medical profession to opine on the state of society. It's no. not a political. There's no. It, it, it's by definition like politically neutral. It's trying to fix individuals. It doesn't know how to do anything else, right? It, it, the only thing you can do is like look within the confines of this bag of skin and say that whatever problems I'm dealing with are located inside of the skin, uh, the, the, right? And to the extent that, you know, it's caused by external factors, well, remove yourself from that external factor, right? So let's say, um, you know, the problem is that you're living in, um, you're living in, a, in a house that's full of allergens, well, okay, then go, you know, go remove all the allergens from your house or stop eating stuff that causes whatever. Or, right. But, you know, let's say you're not getting enough sunlight. Okay, go and get some sunlight or whatever. You could change your environment. But it's all about, you know, all it is is about um, making sure that um, uh, the, the individual is, has like sort of like, as long as like what's immediately surrounding you is not, you know, fucking you up then you're fine, right? And so I, I, I think of uh, one of the problems is for me as, and I, I would say with confidence, and we should talk about why we disagreed on this. <laughs> I would say with very strong confidence that I've never, and I'm not bragging, I, this is just a state of affairs and I've always been curious because I do really understand, I feel when I read um, literary depictions of depression and what it is, it's not mystifying to me. It makes a lot of sense. And I sympathize with a lot of the things that it has to say. Um, and I, I've, I've long tried to understand what it is because I have friends that have it. And I, I sometimes worry about me getting it. But I can't say that I've ever experienced the subjective thing where I couldn't get out of bed. I don't think I've ever experienced something where I felt I've been zapped of any energy. I have felt, for example, that there's no meaning I have felt all those things, but it never sapped me of, of um, my ability to get out of bed. So I think my frustration a little bit in, is that I am both very interested and sympathetic uh, and, and also a bit scared of depression. But I mm -hmm. feel that when I talk to people who are get depressed, they either convince me that I don't have any clue what I'm talking about or that I'm in denial about it. And so I... I uh, I think that's where our disagreement was. You were basically saying mm -hmm. you suspect that I'm kind of being in denial about it. No, and uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. No, no. I I, mm -hmm. I maybe a little part of me was like maybe you're in denial, but mainly mm -hmm. it wasn't. I wasn't. 
I'm not trying to convince you that you're depressed and that you're just mm-hmm. in denial that, you know, that you're depressed. It was more to start the conversation like where we're having, uh, you know, we're having now about, I think, uh, why, why you might, why you're so insistent that you haven't not outside of the personal reason of like, Oh, I, you know, I just never have had it is that maybe there's an element of, I don't want to say that I might've been depressed because of the stigma attached to it. So I was just trying to get a conversation started on the reasons why people might deny that they're depressed outside of like, Oh, I know I haven't just cause I, I, I know myself and I feel like I haven't been. Um, so I, I was trying but, to get that stigma conversation going. Hmm. I, I actually, uh, this is a part of the depression thing that I'm not totally sold on is I do think actually it matters whether you admit to yourself or not that you're depressed. Like, I, I do think that there, uh, to there's a level to which admitting, like, I think there is a, an element of, of, of succumbing to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to draw a certain kind of uh, I don't like I know this sounds like it's I'm reinforcing a stigma around it like oh you chose to be depressed I'm not saying that you chose to be depressed but I am also saying that it's it's I think it is important how you perceive yourself in a way mm-hmm. and so through I've thought about it for a long time and um, the best the best way that I can describe what I think it is, is that it's really, it's very much a social condition. Like if you stick, like this is the thing, if you stick anyone in sol- solitary confinement, I'm, I'm pretty sure that 99.5% of human beings would become depressed. Sure. And the remaining 0.5%, they're actually the sick ones. They're, they're the psychopaths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're normal, you will get depressed. I think that would be the test. If you, if I stick you in solitary confinement and you don't get depressed, something's wrong with you. Uh, so I think everyone's susceptible to it. I think it has something to do with, it's very social in nature. And my feeling is that, and I've always felt this sort of, uh, and I suspect that a lot of Asian Americans do feel this way, <coughs> is that, you know, there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of social, like, when you're in school or when you go to work or among your friends or whatever, uh, there's a very, like, it's very performative, right? So socialization is very performative. It's like being in a, in a play and that when you are, when you have a role and that you understand (coughs) and that you're good at playing that, that kind of wards, you know, that's kind of like normal socialization and depression, I think is what happens when you simply don't, understand or know or are willing to play the role you don't have the ability to participate in socialization in a normal way and i think that can be caused by any number of factors like one you know is social social anxiety i don't i've never really had social anxiety to to a level of it being Mm -hmm. a problem but other times for example (laughs) like you know i think for asian americans it's like racial like the the confusion over what your race brings to the table and racism right and uh sometimes also uh for me like it's also just like an unwillingness to play i i i often felt in school that you know we were being condescended to and treated like we were younger and and dumber than we actually were and i i just my heart isn't in it and i i, I just refuse to 
to to go through the motions of something that I find um, uh, belittling. And I think that that, I don't know what you think of that definition, but to me, that's always been a very useful guide to me because if I'm feeling mm-hmm. some sort of problem, I always, it always kind of comes down to that for me is like, I can't play my social role here because I either don't know what it is, I'm not willing to do it, or I'm afraid to do it. Oh, that's a pretty good one. And I think as far as it relates to a wider audience, um, it just goes back to this, this requires a lot of introspection, right? There's nothing that we three could say to anyone listening, right? That can be prescriptive and fits and fits everyone, right? But I think what we're trying to articulate is our own inner process of trying to triangulate where the proper signal is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. If you have people outside you telling you you are a certain way, inside you feel it completely different. Right. Uh, There's a need to think deeply about where that, how to reconcile those two things. Some part of that pressure from outside, uh, and this is going to be familiar to, uh, to an Asian American audience, uh, to a general, you know, POC audience, actually, uh, a lot of it is going to be tinged with the usual stuff we talk about. Racism, stereotypes, um, preconceived notions, bias, all of that. And that will come crashing down on your head as an individual. Some part of that, there might be actually even a grain of truth to it. Maybe you do actually have clinical depression or anxiety or something, and this manifests and creates a feedback loop for you. Maybe they're completely mm-hmm. fucking wrong, and yeah. you shouldn't yeah. feel you shouldn't feel pressured and you're, you know, what you feel inside is actually uh, you trying to resist that patholo- that's, you know, pathological state that people are putting on you. Uh, and it just, it, it requires being very honest with yourself. Uh, it sometimes it's, it's, for me, it was, uh, it was, it's kind of an ego thing, too. Like, if somebody, if somebody is saying, um you are this way, right? The, some Using some clinical designation that they probably don't understand fully. Uh, my first response is going to be automatically, fuck you. Um, yeah. And I, that means I've already invested something into denying that, uh, that claim about myself. Um, and I think that's taken me down some wrong paths too. At the same time, my my history coming into this was years spent being wrongly diagnosed with, di- right. with depression right. and anxiety. Um and the only way it really came together was just by happenstance meeting uh, a, a competent professional in mental health who uh, who was able to see through what was being said about me by other clinicians and, and actually say, no, actually, yeah, this, she doesn't have depression. Um, for me, it was actually a longstanding, a very delayed diagnosis of ADHD. Well into adulthood, well after being, you know, having seen mental health professionals for many years and being uh and just being horrified by that process uh so yeah i mean once i had that diagnosis it was like everything kind of just came together um honestly being told that i was depressed for years kind of triggered depression in me. yeah that's yeah. what i'm getting at that's that's the thing i'm getting at is can you make someone depressed by constantly telling them they're depressed Oh, you, you certainly know, can. Yes, you certainly can. Yeah. Ultimately, you are who you think you are. Yeah. If you and this is the the perniciousness of uh, of social expectations and in, and you know biased mental health professionals coming coming. This is the danger of it. They can they have the power to convince you that you are bad, that you are the one that's flawed, that their especially diagnosis, their assessment like, of you is correct. Especially when your life takes on. Um, 
asocial aspects. If you're not participating yeah. the way other people want you to participate, right. they will they will go and diagnose you for you, you know, for you. They, they'll start telling you you're depressed. Right. And I see yeah. for me like I grew up more like I have an older sister but she's so much older than me that like I spent a significant amount of time growing up as an only kid and and um and my parents are not uh they were not like you know, they, they we didn't do a lot of family stuff. So I got very used to just managing my own life. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of that was spent with friends, but a lot of that is spent alone. And I got used to that. So I'm mm -hmm. really good at being alone, but other people find that strange. And they were, they, um, you know, I think that there is this belief that, you know, that <clears throat> if you're living in a way that other people don't understand, that, you know, they... They're just like, oh, well, it's probably something pathological going on. And you have to have something. It'll be tolerated if you blow it out, if you knock it out the park in some other socially valued dimension, right? Like, I think Silicon Valley has a mental health problem in general because it's baked into our characterization of ourselves and spoken to someone inside the industry. Uh, like, ment mental health is kind of valorized in a lot of ways. I think right. mental illness is valorized in a lot of ways, uh, but it's val but it's only acceptable if, like, you can be a, a socially anxious recluse with no, um, you know, a completely asocial person. Oh, but he sold his last company for fifty million, right? Then it becomes kind of uh, an extra little gold star on his little on on his little record. Right. It's right. almost um, like their su superpower was the fact that they just hold up and coded or something so that's yeah, why they could you, do it like and, and i see in like com it, it, you know if you talk about someone uh when they're not there just like maybe say among friends or something you say oh well you know um she hasn't been going out lately she's a little she's a little weird and you know i talked to her and she's coming across a little weird oh but she still goes to work and you know she takes care of her kids so maybe she's not um we kind of imagine depression as being this completely fatal, like crippling thing. Right. Um, so we use it to we we use these markers to talk ourselves out of a depression diagnosis, like out of uh, calling someone depressed. Uh, but we also use these same markers to kind of uh, to valorize this person if they are like a superstar in some dimension of their lives. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty weird like colloquial relationship we have with uh, this uh, this concept. Yeah, it's uh, just you know yeah. I mean, depression is not really. I don't even think it's actually well understood um, in the medical community, right? In the in, in, because you know I don't know what the incentive is. There isn't really an incentive in my mind for. The medical by, by, by the by, by the way, I I, so I don't mean to cut you off, but like, I the second you said that, I can imagine a million like people that I know, uh -huh. like who have just heard that coming in with the most annoying, unhelpful responses. Like, actually, it's really well defined <laughs> in the DSM, and this like I don't give well, a shit about the DSM. Yeah, I, like, I was just gonna say you know, I don't give one fuck about what this code book says is this yeah. thing, and, and and yes, part of the DSM and the and the diagnostic tools are useful, but if you look at the list of symptoms and sort of the contradict, not contradictory, but both sides sort of talk where they'll say, you know, if you're, if you can't get out of bed or you can't sleep at all, both signs of depression. Okay. 
Um, sure, that, that's fine. I mean, I know people who have been depressed, but Dude, that that's means clinical. De- that's clinical depression where right, you know right. th- they may be justified in using uh, drugs or some co- other sure. kind of therapy on you. Sure, but uh, but but it's, but, it, it's such a spectrum of behavior. Um, it's mm-hmm. different for a lot of people. Um, Jess, you bring up the fact that like I think in the in the popular discourse, you're not depressed if you can go to work, right? You're not depressed if you can sort of muddle through your life. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, there, there are people who can, you know, like myself, I feel like I'm always sort of in a, like a low grade sort of state of whatever. That's exactly, you know, and Adam, that's what I was trying to get across to you, which the peppering of, you know, I think you're in denial, maybe getting at, which is, and this is my point was I am not depressed by the clinical definition of it. I've never, ever had a thing where I'm like, based on what I know about depression, I need to go get help. I've never had that. And in fact, I, I, I've, you know, been, I've been very weird. I've been very observant of whether people have ever told me that, like, have there been people mm-hmm. who are close to me that said, Hey, you know, I'm worried about you. I think you need, never, no, no one's ever said that to me. But on the other hand, I don't think I'm fine. Right. Right. That's right. my point. That's what yeah. I'm trying to get yeah, across. Yeah, yeah. Is like, even though I'm not depressed, that doesn't mean I'm fine. And I think most people that I know, most the average person that I know, yeah, working a job, raising a family, whatever, yeah, they're not fine. They no, are and that's, not fine. And that's bared and, out. That's bared, bared out. And, just and so, yeah. yeah. And so, but the problem I have is that when when it comes to the discussion of depression, people who have been depressed are so fucking protective of what that means to them, right. and how nobody can understand it and no one has a right to you know to 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 speculate on it nobody right. has a right to wonder about their own non unfineness because they don't meet that definition and, and, and i've that, always had this right. problem for me because it's like i feel that people are not allowed before they reach that point to, to even acknowledge well before right. they reach that to, point to, to vocalize that there yeah. is shit going on with them that ain't right. cool that right. they're not in a good space right but because they're not clinically depressed that you know they uh-huh. don't have to worry and not only that but they can't even really apply the things that have been said about depression and, and uh, it, by people you know really w- people who have written great depression literature um that that somehow that doesn't apply to you or it's not relevant to you i think that's a problem and i think that actually yeah, it worsens is. it and i think people <clears throat> start creeping towards depression because they're told in a way to not think about it until they meet the symptomatic definition of it otherwise they kind of have this cockiness to them like hey eh, i'm fine everything's fine and in fact you you i think you were worried that i was being cocky and i'm like no i'm i'm basically <laughs> d- trying to say the opposite is like although i don't meet the definition i don't think i'm fine you know right no i i, I get that and mm-hmm. though though you know I, I like to needle you anyway but um <laughs> <laughs> because you are cocky you know come on no i think the, I think the <laughs> conversation that we had is the way that it would go for a lot of people and that's why i want to talk yeah. about it is no yeah no you're right. The conversation I, we had is the conversation that I think a lot of people would have. And I find well, that, I just find that it doesn't help me in a way, or it doesn't help anyone in a way. Well, um, I, because I, it, it's about battling over whose experience is correct. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I, I'll admit, you know, there's a little bit yeah. of like, you know, you're trying to tell me, you know, what I felt, or you're trying to tell me about this thing, that the other thing, and you're saying that you didn't have it. So, you know, what, how can you know? There was part of that, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
but I, but but you know, you say the you make the point that um, sort of defending this identity because we mentioned earlier in the conversation that um, being depressed is sort of now like a, a form of identity, um, and uh, and I think that's actually a really uh, damaging development if we want to try to understand what depression is, not just the clinical definition, but the broader implications of, as you said, teen, that there are, you know, I think the normal person out there in America um, is not fine. You know, they might on the outside look okay because they can go about their day, but they're not okay. And if you make it an identity where it's like, if you weren't clinically diagnosed and that this, that, and the other thing, that you then cannot talk about things that we might all share about not being okay, um, really damages, you know, what we do going forward to try to address this stuff. Because then it just becomes a battle of defending turf. And defending turf doesn't get us anywhere towards trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so it, that, that's really what I want to, like, I, I think that's really what we need to try to get toward is what do we do about this? Because... You know, I think there are uh, there are uh, journalists. You know, there are journalists out there and doctors out there. They're trying to figure this out. Like um, Yohan Hari, I think is the most um, uh, prevalent or the biggest name that, about that. But yeah, you know, I, I really so, like what he has to but say. But like society, I, I like yeah, society is broken in so many ways, right? Our culture, our you know everything, and it and it ends up with you know just hundreds of millions of people um, not being okay. And it has knock-on effects for all sorts of areas. Um, we have more foster parents. So we have, you know, inequality in the, in the economy leads to all these different things. Uh, and we have to talk about what do we have to do? We have to solve this stuff or what's going to happen? I mean, inequality doesn't just mean or doesn't just mean that you can't buy stuff, right? It means that you uh, are more stressed out. Studies have shown that when you're stressed about money... And where are you going to get, you know, put food on the table? Your IQ drops 13 points. That's like being drunk. Uh, you know, you know, you're going to, you do make worse decisions. And it has knock-on effects in terms of child care. We have more people and kids in foster care and taken away from their families. Not because we have like a, a rash of just awful parents. It's because, you know, people are poor and they can't take care of their kids the way that they want to. Um, you know, we have higher, you know, uh, it's just lots of things going on. But even, even that formulation to me doesn't really work because, uh, well, I don't a know. lot a part of me, like it's a thought experiment. Like, can there be a 100% not depressed population? Right. This is where we get into, I, I, this is more treating so. like depression Probably as an not. epidemiological problem than as a, uh, than as a, than as like a disease model. Um, well, there are some people who are depressed because of biochemistry just i mean the last the the, uh like the journalism for the last few years at least definitely has diagnosed america the society at large as having a at least a low grade level of pervasive anxiety right yeah like as a society we're showing symptoms of depression um, and, and, and depression is also one of those things that actually, and, and Mark, the reason that I think that what you said doesn't really capture it is because that is, depression rates are actually one of the, uh, one of the holes in the Nordic model. Mm-hmm. Um, depression rates are actually really high in, 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 uh, in, in the Nordic world. And 
it it goes against a lot of the things that we say here about That's inequality yeah. and all this stuff. And oh well, you know, you have yeah. much better, uh, much higher rates of equality and economic equality and lower rates of. Uh, of all that stuff, suicide rates are really high there. Depression rates are really high. So That's I'm true. not convinced that, that it's just about our economic problems and stuff. Um, I think that for me, the problem is uh, that it's like to the extent that, like I said, life is drama. Life is social roles. Life is social playing. Mm. I, I've just found for me looking back on my life that the times when I feel most depressive or de most depressed. Um, and I, f I feel like we should be able to say that without, you know, stepping on anyone's toes. Right. I don't, I don't think I'm like yeah. offending anyone by saying eh, there are times where I felt depressed is when uh, I just don't have any, like there's no, no autonomy and there's no choice or in what role I have to play. It's like I'm assigned mm -hmm. a role mm -hmm. and I'm expected to play into it. And, you know, there is also a huge racial aspect to this for me because for some reason, the role that I'm expected to play often aligns with racial stereotypes in ways that get very annoying and uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is why you see, for example, again, Asian Americans as the model minority cuts against what you said there about, you know, um, economic um, anxiety being there. I'm not saying economic anxiety well, isn't a cause. But I'm saying that for me, it's always been a completely incomplete explanation because sure, yeah. I don't suffer from those things. I don't suffer from worrying about putting food on the table. I don't suffer from these things. But yet, Asian Americans have an elevated rate of, of mental uh, illness and depression. And it's also really high in Asian American college students, especially the ones that go to top schools. So you would That's think true. That's true. these are the kids that are heading towards the good life, man. Right, they're not going to be on the the, the losing end of this uh, inequality explanation. So why are they depressed? And I, I I find that this is really not correlated at all with you know issues of material well being. And I think that's the big difference that for me is I've never felt that it was an issue just of material well being because I knew a lot of people that were material materially much worse off than me that seemed to be much happier than me. I don't want to perpetuate this uh, this idea of the you know of um, of um, you know ha happy like you know happy poverty or anything, but I'm just saying that I don't think that that's the main explanation for depression, and I've never felt that that was an adequate um, guard against it, and so to me it still goes back to this thing of you know I still think about Asian Americans I think about a lot about how race plays into this because it does seem to. Mm -hmm really make it worse for us and it and if you think you know about asian american activism and what do people say in mass like what's the mass what do the masses have to say of asian americans have to say about activism what do they want in their lives they want better media representation they mm -hmm. want better media representation and, and they always say the same thing they say you know <clears throat> we always we only have these limited roles we're allowed to play on, on movies and tv screens and i don't see myself in that i don't see me being represented on screen. And I think that's uh, a, a symptom of a society that's media-driven, where we get our social cues from media. Media, mass media, is what sort of sets the scene for, you know, your day at the office or your day at school or whatever. Everyone's watching the same thing. And so mm -hmm. it kind of sets the scene for 
well, what are we supposed to behave like, right? We have a common understanding of it delivered to us through mass media. And either we were never given a role, so we show up and we, you know, no one has any clue what we're supposed to be, or the role we're given sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing every, every time. And I think that that shows you is consistent with what I believe about depression is that it, it, it has to do with your role in society and whether you're willing or able to play it. And I think that's why media rep it's, is, is such a big deal to me. Um, I push against media rep as being um, a cause. I, can, I, I guess it's a, it would be nice to see our faces represented more. I think it would be helpful. Um, ultimately, though, I think the solution is that we, we, the society as a whole needs to get off media representation as being a, a social guide. Right, that, but that's, that's a much bigger ask. To see long term. That's a much bigger ask. So for now, I guess, right. to see Asian representation, to me, there is an immediate... Yeah. benefit to that as is, hard as even that step is it's not the same as saying we need to change our whole perception model <laughs> i think media rep is really fucking people up badly yeah. i think no that it is absolutely things I'm not that we see in media and i'm not just talk i'm talking all forms i'm not just talking like mass te- just television shows and movies and stuff um but de- you know depictions within media of the news yeah yeah and yeah. and pornography as well like let's not let's not pretend like people are not watching porn. <laughs> um, I think that all of that is is really how we're getting our social cues these days, and we're just you know it's I mean it could not be more clear what Asian Americans want, and it makes sense to me now that you know it's it's a fight it's a fight for social context because without social context you're depressed. And I think that, well, that that coupled with the fact that Asian Americans are suffering from depression at pretty high rates makes the makes the sets the scene for me very clearly. That's how I see it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, not. I'm going to agree with you there. Um, I think for me, strictly for myself, this is just I, I don't think there's any like clinical framework for this or anything. For me, what helped me come to terms, you know, really fully accept that I actually wasn't uh depressed the way, you know, psychiatrists were telling me I was depressed, was in navigating different social contexts and being and being aware of how I felt in them. Uh, there were there were contexts where I was deeply depressed. Namely that was, you know, that was school. That was all the all the crap that comes with uh sure. being in school and all that. Uh, but then I noticed as I moved through different scenes i would feel differently in them uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it helped me realize like no this isn't this isn't my brain misfiring Uh, this is just a particular context that i'm struggling with um that i felt i had no choice in being in uh i mean go Mm. from going from high school to college i didn't really even know it was a choice to not go to college right right um like it, this was just the the track my life uh, was on, and there's there's no other there's no other train on the track. This is it. There is either here or you're 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 just you're you're dead or something. You, right. just, well, you just don't exist. Yeah. There are, but um, you can't think about them. And I think that this yeah. is this is proven in psychology. Having the ability to make a conscious choice uh, makes a huge difference in terms of the psychological outcomes uh, that result from it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the material terms of the choices on the table. Just the fact that you were able to make one, full, like, you know, an uncoerced, fully informed choice makes a huge Auto- difference in how in you were able right? to accept it. 
yeah, that basically is. So, you know, um, so the way it worked for me was I was, I was very, uh, I did not like school for, for a long time, uh, struggled with it. Uh, and then over the summer I was doing something completely not, you know, not academic. Uh, and then it kind of, it kind of reset my gears and I was able, and through that I was, I mean, I seriously toyed with the idea of just dropping out. Um, this is this is how critical it got. Like, okay, this train mm. is just not for me. I know there's no other train on the track, but it's not. This one is just not for me. Um, but then, uh, just being immersed in a different sort of environment actually made me want to choose to return. Like, I made the choice to come back, uh, get back on that train, mm-hmm. and that alone, that like one cognitive pro- like switch made a world of difference in how I felt about things. So, uh, I think it's, uh, it's the, yeah, it's, it is about social context and we're talking, we're, we're not talking about the clinical, like no. if there's, if there's brain chemistry misfiring, uh, that's, we're, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the general malaise that I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. And I think it's, totally. it's pretty acute in right. Asian Americans because there aren't too many, uh, socially defined, acceptable roles for us to play. Um, yeah. yeah uh, so, I mean, mater- on the outside, nothing changed. Like, literally, like, not one detail of my life from the, out- like, anything that would appear on a resume or a CV or a job interview, nothing about that changed. It was just some internal process that, you know, flipped the ge- switch for me. So I didn't have to like quit, you know, quit school and go backpacking in Europe or something. It it didn't require a material shift in my circumstances. It was strictly a psychological shift. Totally. Um, I I think the Asian American thing for me was a double bind too because like I it, it's it's kind of ironic, right? Cuz like we actually we do this podcast and I I really don't like being involved in Asian American organizations. Uh, maybe this is part of the reason we actually started this pod to some extent or how we even came to, because I I don't think many of us really like doing that stuff. Um, I was not, I mean, I joined like the Asian student union and stuff and whatever, but I just, it never really did anything for me because I actually think that those, the, the, those organizations to me, at least the, the, the sort of mainstream ones are as or if not more socially constricting based oh, they, on oh yeah they can be for sure yeah. do you know what i mean like there's oh, yeah. a there's a very limited understanding and uh oh, yeah. you know th- I mean, those are well, they're th- coping to me they're groups. they're they're actually they're like coping mechanisms for you to accept whatever track you're on well, like in also, college yeah. if you're in a asian american student union um yeah. you're there to cope with college uh, I right. mean, you're not you're not there to you know foment a workers' rebellion. <laughs> right. Well, um, and there, talk- there, there's no group there's no group <clears throat> that I feel let more constrained in terms of what I can think and say. That, that's exactly say. what I was going to say. It's a role than, than right? Asian American activist groups. Yeah. You know, I hate Asian American activist groups. I really do. I, not all of them, but you know the ones I'm talking about. The yeah. ones where I like the social groups when they when they slip into activism. I, I it just it becomes super uh, constricting. Even the social aspect can be very constraining too. But anyway, I I like I I don't mind the neighborhood. I don't mind the activist ones like at the neighborhood level, like the grassroots stuff and the community stuff. I like that stuff. Um, Like I like I like meeting Chinatown activists a lot. Um, What I don't like are, you know, the the sort of college oriented, you know, ones that talk about 
um, Asian. I mean, look, I'll just put like, fuck it. I'm I'm done. I'm done beating around the bush. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like, I don't like discussion around Asian American feminism as it is. I really, I really find as a man that I can't be part of that discussion because I find it super depressing for myself because everything that comes out of your mouth is like corrected. And I'm just like, this is just a, this is just a horrible social environment for me. Okay. I'm not saying what they're saying is, is that bad though. Often it is. I'm saying that I just find myself the, the fact that I can't say anything. And if I say something, it's immediately treated as pathological. I find it really, if I, if I was in that, if I had to be in that context, like if I was committed Asian American activist and I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a man and I'm, I'm pursuing this as a, as an academic thing or whatever, I would find it horribly depressing. I, I don't know. I, I, that's, that's, th- I don't have much experience in that actually. Uh, just yeah. minor incidents. And I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I mean, m- the defining thing about Asian American social groups, like college, grad school, all that was actually the explicit lack of political content, the lack of any, uh, outward facingness. Mm. Um, I kind of wonder what it would have been like if if they had, but it, to me, it just felt like it's a bunch of people who share some amount of similarity at the DNA level, uh, getting together to eat uh, food that normally you wouldn't get to eat in other circles. Like it literally mm. came down to that. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, for me, it was kind of it just it was it was kind of it was kind of bland, but I was into that. Uh, like it felt nice to just kind of be in like for a little while, just be in this little like bubble. Um, I don't really, I don't really know what, uh, what, uh, like a young college age, like politically active Asian American group is like. I imagine it's angry. Well, I, I, I think that it, I think if you look at, um, I mean, the first, the first time that I felt really angry, see what the reason I think I get angry and we have angry Asian men is, 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 is. It's a bristling and a rejection of an expected social role. Well, and yeah. uh, it is, the anger to me is actually an antidepressant, right? Um, I, think, I think the ability to get angry is actually helpful um, because, you know, depressed people rarely are angry. Or I have heard that it's anger turns, turned inwards. That's a clinical uh, description that I often hear. Sure. Where yeah. you're now angry Which at yourself. Which has slipped out into... It, yeah. Which has slipped down to common parlance and super infuriating yeah. uh, to get that to get that tossed on you. Yeah. And I think that my when I went online in 2015 and started looking at the state of uh, online discourse for Asian Americans, especially young men, that that's basically what they were being encouraged to do, to be angry at themselves. You know, to the extent that you got a problem, look at yourself, fix yourself, examine mm-hmm. yourself. Right. And it's this constant thing where it's like this you know, horrendous. And you know, it's come, look, it's coming from other Asians and it's, uh, and it's coming from, uh, I did not intend to turn this into a conversation about this, but I think that if we want to make it specific to young Asian men, I do think that there's, there's just not a lot of help coming their way from Asian American women. Uh Asian American women for the most part are concerned with other Asian American women, especially young women. And that's fine. But I think that to the extent young Asian American men get involved in that, are part of that discussion, that they're treated the same as all other men in America are treated right now, which is like potential problems. Like they may just 
you have to check your own worst instincts because what you are is you're a potential sex crime. You are a potential harassment case. You're a potential toxic masculine, you know, whatever. You're, you're a potential me too thing. And, and you've got to be really weary about yourself because you've got a lot of bad nature in there. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think more or less, if you pay attention to what's being said out there in society about men and what Asian women have been saying about Asian American, young Asian American men to this extent they say anything, that that's more or less what's being said. And I, as an older man... I'm past that stage in my life where I have to worry about this stuff. But when I see it being said, it's absolutely infuriating because this is based yeah. on how I understand depression, based on how I understand mental health. This is the 100. This is the complete flip of what you should be doing. And no wonder uh, depression rates are high. No wonder Asian American kids, young Asian uh, got, uh, b boys and girls. I, but I want to talk about the boys because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man. Uh, no wonder they're they're having problems fitting in and feeling depressed because they're they're constantly being told that the problem is themselves. So I um, I think that 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 that's why I encourage people to to have to think well, broader about the world and to have opinions about the world and to diagnose the world and not just diagnose yourself. Well, yeah. It, well, it's not. It's also not surprising because you know we're talking about. Uh, roles and 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 how you relate to the world and, and and your willingness or unwillingness to play these roles and and also not um, knowing that there are other ways and, and feelings of autonomy. It's not surprising that uh, college kids, both Asian, non-Asian, just you know, college kids, uh, have higher instances of depression because they're they're just learning about who they are and how they fit in, right? And if you don't know that. Then and you're struggling with that, that can lead to these feelings of depression, right? I mean, if you don't, if you're not willing to play the role that you're sort of expected to play, uh, the college kid in that track, or you just don't know what your role is, then I think it totally makes sense that kids of that age, um, you know, are, fall into that. Um, I think Asian, I think Asian kids I, I mean, it, should it, be it listening to what, what, what society. I think they I, should be listening to the broader conversation about young men, and utterly ignoring what the Asian American discussion about them is. I think there's nothing helpful at all being said by Asian Americans at large, including the women, especially the women, about young men. Uh, they should not be listening to the Asian American conversation, I, in my opinion. I think they should be focused more on the broader discussion in America about young men. It's much more helpful to me because they actually care about their guys. I don't think Asian Americans give a shit about their guys at all. I don't know, That's man. I, I, I think the broader... I, really, I really don't... I, no, I'm not saying that it's great out there, but at least yeah. things are being said. You know, at I, least there, there, are, there are mainstream feminists who have been talking about this honestly, that have been talking about, young, you know, male development. And I don't see any of it in the Asian American discussion. And I've looked, searched far and wide, and there is nothing in there of use to a young man that's coming up and having these problems. Which is almost all of them. So that's my, I mean, I. Yeah, and I, insofar as the problem is, uh, well, uh, the toxic elements of the community that giving a platform, you know, to use them overused cliches, uh, incites these people. No, I think the lack of, the lack of a strong, clear, unambiguous signal uh, to every member of this group um, actually predis it precipitates radicalization. It actually sends people over the edge because there's literally mm -hmm. nothing there for them to latch onto. 
and you push them too far and that's what happens so it's worth it to it's it's actually worth it to have a reasoned dialogue that f for just one damn minute sets aside the baggage of decades of bias and stereotypes and the horrible social cliches that we use to slam each other and it's the most self-righteous um, garbage ever too and it, and it positions mm -hmm. itself in this sort of moral stance to say if you want to speak out against it you're by definition toxic if you want to like yeah. if i just label oh, myself yeah. a if I label myself an activist or a feminist and you have anything to disagree with, then you're a misogynist because I'm a feminist, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's moral posturing, it's bullshit, and it's, it's really damaging the discourse. And these young, these young people are, and I wanna include girls, I, I just can't speak for girls. Like I don't know what it's like growing, I don't know what it's like being socialized young as a girl, but I would gather that this applies in its own way is there's no room for for rebellion here there's no there's no room for because it's amoral like if you speak up against the sort of like established authority it's it's positioned itself as a moral authority mm -hmm. and you can't rebel against moral authority and they will call teenaged kids misogynists teenagers yeah. you know it's abominable so I, I've, I, I, uh, I don't Dude, know. I guess no disagreement there, man. I mean, yeah, I'm done. I'm just done with the entire fucking construct of how this is done. And, and I just think people should just ignore it. No, don't even fight against it. Just tune it out. I mean, Mark, I think one of the reasons that it's I do find myself to. a little, yeah, I think one of the reasons that I do find myself a little bit less susceptible to depression, but lately I've been a little bit more worried about it is mm -hmm. for the, I've never really watched television. I've never really watched much consumed much media mm -hmm. so I never really got my social cues from that and so I never really felt that I wasn't playing into like I didn't feel constrained I just I, I just felt that nothing made sense <laughs> like, right? okay uh, but lately as I pay more attention to the Asian American discourse I do feel I well I'm older now so it doesn't doesn't affect me quite as much, but I can see myself that the Asian, it's the Asian American discourse specifically, and not just like, you know, the long duck dong things or whatever, that would mm -hmm. get me depressed because this is supposed to make sense. This is sp supposed to make, speak to me. And it, it just d is not helpful in any way. I, I, I think that, I think actually the more we try to, um, the more we try to push activist discourse, um, the way we have, mm -hmm. and the more we try and stuff our 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 shit into white shit, and 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 have our own model of um, of of social justice, uh, the worse it's getting, because it's not it's totally out of touch with how people are actually living. So, yeah, I'll say it, for it, on the, on the on the girl side. Yeah. Um, I find the I find the discourse damaging for women too. On on its front, it may not look that way. Um, on its front, you see a lot more women getting platform like minor platforms to talk about their issues and and talk you know speak for Asians at large or something. Uh, but the the common vein of discourse is to push off self reflection, to any kind mm -hmm. to push off analysis, mm -hmm. uh, introspection, anything any like nuance that, onto yeah. these giant constructs. You know the patriarchy, capitalism, uh, things like that. 
and on its front, it's actually kind of seducing, right? You can say, oh shit, all my problems are because of men and capitalism. This is awesome. I'm great. But this is actually really damaging because you still have to live within within social confines. Uh, and you can't avoid the self-reflection. If you, if, you, if you do that, you actually end up hurting yourself in the long run. And in the short run, too. So I'm not a big fan of the common discourse as it stands for women either, because I still think it sets women up to fall into some very gendered tropes, which is victims at the mercy of larger male-dominated forces. What, what uh, about... There isn't, there isn't that what, much accountability for agency. Sure. And I think, I mean, psychologically, agency is huge. And we just talked about choice, mm-hmm. right? Having huge implications for your mental health, being able to choose your path and have it be validated and respected. Um, so agency is, is part of that. Agency is the ability to, is the impetus within yourself to make that, make that choice. Um, I, this actually strips agents, the common discourse actually strips a lot of agency from women and displaces it onto men. So men are perceived to be the ones with all the agency, privilege, uh, access to power, ability to mm-hmm. switch social tracks, tracks, while we women are here petitioning men humbly for a piece of the pie. There's and I think that's a gross yeah. distortion of uh, of the current social landscape. I've never, uh, I actually feel a little depressed uh, reading, uh, not rigorous feminist discourse, but like, um, you know, the everyday op-eds. The, the pop stuff. Well, yeah, well, I was about to ask, what do you what do you feel about like Ellen Powell and Tracy Chow, who are, you know, I think really admirable women that are, you know, really advocating for, uh, I, I don't even think they're advocating for Asian women. I think they're advocating sort of against white male patriarchy. I think um, they're they're broadly pushing, um, they're pushing an ethical agenda, and I think this is why uh, why I align with them. It's not it's not necessarily race first or any kind of subgroup first. It's broadly looking at ethical imbalances in society and t- keeping a keen eye on that and trying to leverage um, power to help right some of those imbalances. What what, so what, what worries me about them po- though? But I guess what what mm-hmm. I'm wondering is like uh, what, when you as you as you bring this up, what worries me about it is this idea that. You know, a pr- it, it, that the proper social role for um, a modern, liberated, woke Asian woman is someone who gets VC funding for her, you know, brilliant, um, uh, brilliant startup idea that she concocted while an undergrad at Stanford, and that you know that's the future of Asian American women. I mean, how many Asian American women can actually live up to, or even hope to live up to that? Is my well, is my I, question? I guess- it's it's not about the raw numbers. It's about the suspicion inside you that there's probably more of them than current so- social uh, confines have permitted. Right? So it's trying to encourage the ones who are out there who have been left out. More so but than is it, saying, a, is it a brand of feminism for the 1% is what I'm saying? And is it of any yeah, use it to totally the rest? Is. Uh, I mean, it depends on it depends on why you're you're doing this. Why why elevate this particular group? Why advocate for this particular group? Uh, I mean, there's one le- layer to it. One is simply you know relational to um, say white men and saying, well, they got it, so we should get a piece of that too. Fine. That's a that's one base layer of uh, ethics we can resolve there. Second is well, is there a deeper meaning to what will come of elevating uh, this group of women in this particular way? 
Like, there is no point to it, to me, if you're elevating Asian American women and we just create an army of, like, Elaine Chows, right? There's there's no point to this. So there is another ethical, it's an unspoken one at the moment, uh, and I actually find it, uh, it's, it's in its own way, it's confining as well. It's the expectation that uh, uh, if women have this access to money, power, etc., that they will in turn use it, use it themselves to uh, to further the agenda of writing ethical imbalances in society. I think this does feed into another uh, stereotype about women, which is that they are, you know, self-sacrificing, uh, oriented towards others, uh, community p- uh, people, etc. Um, but leaving that aside for now, I think this is this is roughly what's this is the this is roughly what's going on behind the uh, push by these w- particular women to elevate uh, women of color in in the ranks of the one percent. Uh, so I yeah, it's you're actually right. It's not exactly designed for everyone. It is designed for a a very limited subset of women in these particular uh, right. spaces. Right, and, and I know that, uh, and I'm not saying that uh, like you know Ellen Powell and and such are um, packaging it as a as a morally righteous uh, act. Like I don't think that they go out there um, advertising the fact that you know they're they're advocating for uh, more. Asian women in the 1% as some sort of like broader social corrective, but the media class does do that, right? So like the media representation matters. People will say, you know, every Asian woman who gets a leading role and gets paid as much as their white male lead um, is like a blow against racism in America and all the rank and file Asian people need to sort of stand up and cheer for their success. Um, And I, I just call bullshit on it. Right. Like I, I like the, the social movement, like the, the movement to like get more lead roles for Asian actors is just so they can get a job. Like I, and, and that's fine and everything. But, you know, I don't see the nature well, is, of the representation. I don't know. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I don't disagree completely on that. Maybe the problem with us on this podcast, we don't disagree or agree <laughs> completely. Um so as for, I, I understand where those people are coming from, as far as media rep goes, uh, this is kind of aping the common construction of white privilege, right? By saying the way the way it's constructed there is, you know, the powerful, the elites, both in money, influence, power, fame, all of that tend to be a certain gender and a certain color. Um, so saying, so saying that. Uh, so there is a lot of value in advocating for more people in that uh, in that class. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because the way that works is the is the understanding that the more there are there, there's a trickle down effect that elevates people even at the bottom. And, despite, and that's where you know, I'll, despite the that's very where real I would disagree. That, I, I don't think that that effect is as strong as they want it that people to think. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going to agree with you there because I don't think white privilege works that way, either. I think there is a there is a problem with the way uh, the concept of white privilege is constructed and understood and practiced. Yeah, I, I think that so it's a an- lot of what I think a lot of that the problem I have with a lot of this um, the um, <clears throat> Ellen Powell approach to things, which who I really admire by the way, I really admire her. I think she has, I think she's a a, a hero. But I think that the problem is not with her, but the you problem is with the 
is with the over-identification with, of, of what she's doing. That's, that's a problem I have, is when people over-identify with You things. mean by the rank and file? By just people, yeah. By the rank and file who, t- you know, I think the problem I see is when, um, you know, we, we, we uh, feel that, you know, the correction of uh, a gap between ourselves and what is considered uh, privilege is a, a win. So the, the key is that, uh, you know, Asians, minorities, and women especially, if we can close the gap with where white men are, then, then, we're, then we're good to go. And what I'm saying is that I, I think that that is such a narrow conception of what the problem is that we're basically in that model. We're basically saying that white men have built a great system. The only problem is that only white men have access to the top. And so if we could be like them, if we could be like Mike, right? It's a kind of like, let's be like white men. And there's a, it's a, there's a lazy sort of thing where it's like, well, if it wasn't white men who are leading it, then the whole system would look different. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. No. I mean, remember like, you know, all the, actually all the CEOs of like the three major defense contractors are women right now. And they're still building, <laughs> they're still building bombs. I mean, it's not, right. it, it doesn't really change the nature of Lockheed Martin and Raytheon if the CEO is a woman. So this yeah, trickle down I, I think thing, I th- this is yeah. I think this trickle this down thing to, is bullshit. You know, and mm-hmm. people leverage women for that soft look, right? Yeah, like it's a yeah. strategic thing for these companies to switch to a woman, maybe a woman of color, when mm-hmm. shit starts going bad, or they need yeah. a softer image, right? A, like yeah. right, a defense company headed by a woman just looks a little softer. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And this yeah. plays into and this plays into a, itself a very damaging trope of femininity, which is that women are softer, right? Yeah. More nurturing, more empathetic, more social. Uh, by nature, by nature, by nature. Yeah. So this is as God ordained. Um, right. So I think these are, and I, and, I, and women are complicit in this too. They leverage this perception to leapfrog over others in their race to the top. And I think this is a matter of power. This goes beyond this goes beyond race or gender. This is simply a function of power and where it's aggregated. Once you're at the top, it just takes on a, a life of its own, and there's no escaping that. You can't. Can you really be an empathetic CEO of a trillion dollar company? Nope. Like. <laughs> You, you can't. Um, so I think overall what we're actually just, it's a very limited ethical problem. It's literally that, that, that gap. Uh, they got it. Why not us? That's being, that's being resolved. Yeah. And I think well, that for Asian guys um, who are in that, mo- in that, in that, um, that particular Ellen Powell, Tracy child led uh, effort are mostly seen as white men. Right, because in, in Silicon Valley, white men are at top, Asian men are number two. And then there's a pretty big gap between them, those two and everyone else. And so Asian men, more or less, although subordinate, are treated as, you know, part of the problem. And in their conception, there's probably some truth to that. And I think the, the, the common reaction by Asian men is like, well, we're still subordinate to white men. You see, we still have problems. And then, and then well, you're going to get creamed because it's mm-hmm. like, yes, you're still subordinate, but the, 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 uh, the rates of promotion for Asian women are, are much, much lower than even than any other group, I think. I think Asian women actually suffer the most under this. So I think for Asian guys, there's really nothing of advocacy there. 
um, because I don't even think it's identifying the right problem. So that's that's the thing is like if Asian guys want to be like, look, uh, we still have our problems with promotion and pay equality and stuff in, in Silicon Valley. I'd be like, yes, you do. But the thing is, is that really ultimately the so- the real what's that going to solve? If, if you have equal mm-hmm. if, if you're seen just like a white guy, right, if you're if you're able to do all the things that white guys do. If you're able to, if you're able to run Silicon Valley the way white guys do it, does that mean that you've solved all your problems? You know, and I no, think it means that you to, solved that particular problem, which that has particular its, problem, an ethical yeah. weight of its own. Yeah. Um, so what will happen is we resolve the race uh, inequality. Maybe we'll solve the gender inequality, and then we'll just all die in a class war. Right. Right. Well, no, 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 no. You're going to solve it. You're going to solve the race and gender issue with respect to Silicon Valley, not anywhere else, right. too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, oh, I know. that's and the I, thing. I, 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 within so this ecosystem, I'm saying this is the progression of it. You solve mm-hmm. one, you solve one, this problem, that problem, and then we'll all die of the third problem. Right. Well, it doesn't, because it doesn't is, change, is, right? It doesn't change, the, like, the broader underlying problem. Um, yeah. So what I'm saying it's is, you cannot, you cannot, you, you cannot over-identify with the racial gap. Is my problem? Is my point? Uh, right. Especially if you're an, yes. if you're an Asian man. Yeah. I think if the racial gap is huge, and you know, like you know, it really is coming down on you, like hammer and tong, then then you have an appropriate sense of the scale of the problem. But if you're number two, if you're saying that you know I'm making eighty five percent of what they make, or you know, my, you know, my, um, our, our inclusion in C-level uh, roles is much lower than it should be based on whatever. I'm not saying that's not a problem. I'm just saying that you don't want to over-identify with that problem because that problem is just the ways in which you're not allowed to be a white guy. Right. So you got to put it into perspective. You can't make that the ultimate. You cannot make that, you know, sort of like the thing. And I think that uh, there's a lot of confusion out there about, I don't know how we got here from depression, but I do think I that gonna... a lot of this is about modeling our social roles to be like, look, if I could just be like a white guy, then I'm fine. That's, well, that's, that's maybe where it's coming to from. where we were talking about, what we were talking about, that it's, yeah. it's actually irrespective of material constraints on your life. Like you can find this pervasive malaise everywhere at all strata of society, right? Yes, and we can. And this means that over-identification with this particular constraint can take over your life and overshadow the rest. Which which constraint? A lack of perspective, if you will. Ah, um, okay. Because I would argue that, yes, you know, just getting money is not going to necessarily change or solve your problems of um, feeling out of place in the world. But I think... Uh, another concept we were talking about is autonomy and the ability to choose. And when you feel constrained in those choices, uh, for whatever reason, um, it can it can lead to these feelings of depression or hopelessness. Oh, and but I the think, world is so tricky. But the world is so tricky when it comes to that because no, I, I you'll have you believe that money will get you autonomy, but no, money also gets you the golden handcuffs. I mean, you well, got to no, be very I, careful with. Yes, yeah. I, I agree, but yeah. I don't think that's a I don't think that's an argument to not make people's lives better at the bottom, right? Like, I think no, we need, absolutely to, not. We need to make saying, their lives better at the bottom so that, that at least they can go from, you know... But again, look at the rates of depression. Why is it that we see rates of depression high in Asian American students that are going to good colleges? It's not for fear of material well-being. 
No, is my I, point. I agree. Right. We yeah, got to yeah. understand. We got to understand. This is my. This is the overall point I'm trying to make. Right? Is material? Well, the the issue of material, like material things. I think if it gets so bad that you can't actually live, then yes, it's like you're you have a real. But I don't think that material struggle brings about depression the way that social dysfunction brings about depression. Well, yeah. You know, that's my point, is that by thinking that there's a baseline of material need and by, you know, we're making it worse, but, you know, like, I, st I think that we're still getting in this thing of, like, you know, what... And this, this goes to the Silicon Valley thing. It's just, like, am I depressed because I don't have enough? It, you know, and I, it's not what it is. It's not what it is because I have made... Plenty of I, I I've 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 always had a pretty good income, man. You know, like I've I've never wanted for uh, material you know material needs, and I still think that all of the stuff that I read about depression and all my 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 adjacentness to it has never been about material things. And uh, uh, to some extent, then people will say, okay, well then that's just like you're you're just like a that's just privileged problems, and I don't feel sorry for you. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm not really looking for sympathy, but I don't think that makes my concerns about this any less real because I do think that this is fundamentally about social needs and human beings are extremely, extremely social. And uh, if we don't get our society, if we don't get our, if we don't fit into something that resembles what we were evolved to be a part of, we have serious problems. Yes, I, I and agree that with doesn't that. have to do with whether you have enough food. Or enough. But yes, but poverty can lead to social isolation too. Uh, not so. enough gets said about depression as a healthy mechanism. Like even right now, we're framing it as a predominantly negative thing. For me, uh -huh. uh, it's actually been a nice warning sign. If I'm feeling a certain way about the situation, that to me is like my brain waving a little red flag and saying something's not right uh, here, right here, right now. Oh yeah, it can be. Yeah, uh, sure. So I think yeah. it's it's it's. It's useful to understand uh, what you're feeling and what you're thinking in that particular moment. And you can say, I am depressed about this, right? Without necessarily right. having to internalize that you are irrevocably messed up. Um, it's actually been very helpful for me to listen to that. If I'm feeling depressed in the situation, it's now a sign for me to get out. I need to get out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's part of mindfulness, um, right? And feeling... And I can... I'm, if I felt like I was trapped, if I couldn't get out, that would trigger something deep and very real. So yeah, I think, in the I sense think that especially, you know, especially, that's especially true, Jess, of people who don't have material uh, uh, lack, right? Because yeah. it's so easy to think that you've got everything going on right in your life as long as you're in the right sort of earning in income bracket. And my... My life has always been about confirming the very fact that people in high income brackets suffer from it, I think, worse than most people. I think it's actually uh, the worse as you go up, uh, which is uh, why I'm pushing back on what you're saying. I, I, don't, that, I don't know about that, man. I, I honestly, well, I don't, I don't, you may not I don't know. About, here's my point. Uh, you like, may not so, know about that, but that is absolutely consistent with what I see. No, I, because I, it's absolutely think, consistent with I what I see. I think it's because it manifests in different ways. Like, there's yeah, a so, like it would be easier to solve depression created by material lack. All that is, is it's more money. Exactly. Right? It's more stuff. It's more stuff. Um, it might seem easier, further... but yeah. Okay. I mean, See, easier that's why in I the don't, sense I don't, that, like... I don't want to preserve the right for 
you know, the poor people to, to, to suffer from this more. No, I'm not, that's my, I'm not that's, saying. I don't, I don't get that point. I, I'm not what saying I'm trying that. To say, no, no, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to absolutely destroy that notion is that if you want to be like a quote, if you want, and I, and I know it comes from a good place to say like, you know, I don't think people with money should like complain too much, but that's not my point. I'm not trying to make people feel sorry for people with money. I'm trying to say, but this fucks it, up people's uh, values. But right, you were just is, saying you were just saying that they they suffer from it more, and I think we can argue. I don't want to argue about whether they do more or less. It's just maybe no, I think they it looks suffer, differently. No, I'll tell you why. No, but I'll tell you why they suffer more. Because especially, not, I'm not saying the rich, rich. Okay, I'm not saying people that have enough money to not work. I'm saying that those people who are earning a lot but they're spending a lot too, the upper mm-hmm. middle class. The reason that I see it prevalent in that group, I'm talking doctors, I'm talking lawyers, I'm talking engineers or whatever, um, is because in order to earn like that, you're in a, you're in, you're working embedded within a hierarchy that's absolutely uh, uh, authoritarian. You don't have any say over what you do. Okay. Uh, Very few people in those positions, they actually lose autonomy the higher they go. And the reason I want to point out that the rates of depression and, and all this stuff seems to me, I don't have the stats, but I know a lot of people. This is, my, this is my demographic. The reason it's high is because it's, it's, it's because they, one, they don't have autonomy, and two, they don't recognize that that's what they're missing. And they, 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 we, you know, we start competing with each other based on how much we make. We make, we, we make ourselves feel better based on relative to you know, how we're doing versus someone else. And it's this mentality of like, look, if I'm, if I'm suffering at work, I may as well have something to show for it. You know, if what you're having to show for it isn't as good as someone else who's doing the same job, you're going to be super pissed about it. And so I, I just want to be clear that, you know, there's an aspect to this depression thing that's totally divorced from material well-being. And it's absolutely 100% fundamentally about your social situation. One, do you have any autonomy? Yeah, and, and right, and yeah. and and poverty isn't just about not having money. It's about your social standing as well. So you know, I, I get what you're saying, Teen. That you know, there are different aspects of, of how you know your social station and 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 whether you have any autonomy or not, up and down the income ladder. I get that, um, but you know, I I, I will push back. With, with you making it seem like, uh, you know, I'm tying, you know, depression to, to just being poor or that it's more I mean, or look, less. Like, it's just if you don't have don't, enough money to live and you don't and you're working five jobs. Fuck. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you're you've got it worse than anyone. Yes. But I'm saying that we're the way we di- think we're about, about different this, points on the Maslow scale. Yes. That, I mean, that, too. But I think that when it comes to depression itself. I mean, for me, I, it, it's to me, it's first and foremost about, you know, these these softer issues of whether you have control over your life, you know. And of course, material, if you don't have enough money, you're not going to have any control over your life. But I'm saying that, you know, you see it in people that make a lot of money, too. No, and I, the reason and I, is because the reason they make a lot of money is because they have to sacrifice control over their lives to get that money. That's why they even have money to begin with. If you're, I, I do think that if you have a shit, if you have fuck you money, I actually think you're in a pretty good situation. 
Fuck You Money, I think, does buy you a lot of freedom from depression. <laughs> of course it does, because you can say fuck you and do whatever the fuck you want. Exactly, exactly. Like, uh, you have true there, autonomy. Because yes. autonomy, yes. Because you have, you have so much money that it buys autonomy, okay? Exactly. Because you, exactly. you don't have to work. You're not beholden to anyone other than maybe the federal government and the state government. Yeah. And if you have enough money, you can just buy yourself out of that, too. Yeah, I mean, there um, are other problems that are associated with that, but at that level, I really don't care. The uh, personal problems? I don't care. Now we're tying my... it back to an, another part, which is, okay, in that case, we've established that those people are the ones that have it the best. Um, do you want to push more people into that tier or bring them down so everyone has to deal with the same baseline shitty existence? Well, that, my point is that we should push people up to at least the baseline level where, okay... You're not depressed because you have no choice because you can't survive. And maybe, okay, it's okay. going to suck because you're now middle class and, you know, you're locked into a job or whatever, right? And your lifestyle has gotten to such a point where you need to spend money almost as fast as you make it. But, you know, at least you're yeah, not starving. I, I don't think anyone's arguing that it's it's a fundamentally worse kind of depression in the uh, middle, upper middle uh, classes, it's a it's it's just underexplored that it's so pervasive because the it's embedded in you know the idea of the the American dream right that if you achieve a certain amount of material success everything falls into place it's pegged right. mental health is pegged to mater right. some material marker of uh, of lifestyle right and I'm not saying that's not true um, of course that's true yeah I if think you know what I think that would mark, be a then bringing it to that. You know what I think would be a is huge a, is benefit a great idea. To, 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 to mental health is I think if people, if everyone was given a little bit of fuck you money, meaning if everyone had the ability to just, if, if their situation got to a point that they couldn't handle it anymore, that everyone kind of had this ability to be like, fuck this, I'm out. I think everyone needs a little bit of that fuck this, I'm outness. Well, yeah, uh, buffer, right? Whether that's yeah. money to just leave and do something else for a while, uh, time to be able to to, yeah. to do something, uh, yeah, it's yeah. some sort of buffer. Doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be money. I think that's the key, and I think that um, it, it just it being trapped into a social like if you're trapped into a social role that you're really good at and you're just made for it, you know. And I know people like that too. Um, often they're just they're just uh, they're just strange people, <laughs> you know. Like they don't have great personalities, but it works for them, and they're happy people. I know people that are trapped in their job, they're trapped with financial obligation, and they're super happy because that's who they are. I I think that though, if you're if you're trapped in a in a this is most people, if you're trapped in a situation that you don't really like, it may not be the worst absolute thing, but it just it's just not it doesn't it just doesn't work for you. And you have no ability to get out of that. That's when you get problems. I think that's uh, yeah. why you know, um, co like, almost like if you take high achieving college kids, like, there's no quit in them. They've. I think you get to Harvard because you've been told like there's no quit. You don't quit. And the idea of them quitting is so anathema that there's they, the, the the idea of saying fuck this. Like you said, Jess, you never had the concept of saying no to college, right? Yeah. I think it, this this inability to imagine fuck this is what is what really ends up killing people. You know, I mean, I guess for me, you know, the suicidal ideation thing has always been confounding to me because I'm like, if it ever got that bad, 
I, I guess I, I, I would just like, you know, go travel around like a white bum. Like, why would I kill myself? I would just, I would just say, fuck all this. I, I don't need any of this. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to, I, you know, think about suicide, then anything's possible, right? I, I guess that's what always confounded me about people. And I had friends that thought about it. I, it always confounded me because I'm like, well, there's a million things that you could do that would be better than suicide, but would also get you out of your situation, you know? But I guess it was just unthinkable. I don't know. Well, I, I don't want to get yeah, into I that think because for me there was a there was an element of. Um, but why not? Why don't you want to get in, into in, that? I, why, why is it so off limits? This is this is what bothers me about this stuff. It's like everyone's I, like, we need to talk, we need to talk, and then the second comes up, everyone's like, well, I don't want. Well, because I've it. never I've never had it, so I don't want to. I'm not going to start speculating about people's motives. But why? But but people are always saying people should talk, but what you can't talk about it until it happens to you. Okay, like okay, you, I don't know. I'll I'll go. Um, yeah. I don't think it. I've ever come to the point where I've wanted to, but you know, I've I've thought about it. You know, um, you know, I, I there were suicides on campus where I went to school. None of that was handled particularly well by the school or anybody else. So I mean, it was it was on people's minds that this kind of pressure was on us, and this is a way out. Um, but I I'm with you, Teen. I get to a point where like, okay, well, if I'm willing to like kill myself. Why wouldn't I like work a minimum wage job? Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, like if, like it, I don't know. There's, why, there's. Why wouldn't there's I put on a monk hat that, that and gap? just go to Thailand and just travel around like you know, just being a ascetic or yeah, something? Yeah, and like, this is something crazy. This is by no you know? means to belittle like actual victims of suicide at all. Um, well, but I, that's what I it sounds like, like when people know. talk like this. But, but you know, that's what, what it sounds though, like. Here's the so, thing. That, you know, so I mean, what? I don't. But honestly, well, because, so what? Because uh, you know uh, why? Because uh, this 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 issue confronts everyone. It and does I confront think, everyone. So I don't think that it's it's useful at all, Mark, to to, to start putting things sensitivity barriers around stuff that affects everyone. Oh, we can talk it, about it. It sounds look, like no, because it sounds we'll talk, like to you that I'm being look, we'll talk insensitive about it. to someone. We'll talk. We'll talk about it, and I'll say what I want to say. Okay, fine. Okay, we'll see. See, okay, so here's the gap. Like the this a victim of suicide, right? I have endless amounts of empathy for that because that 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 is so far past the boundary of normal thought and desire right this is this for me my limited sphere this is where it stopped for me as far as suicide went i think i i think i i was under a lot of pressure i definitely was not in a great place mentally but even in the process of thinking through the suicide this was my hard stop you know, I, I gotta say, not. I gotta tell you, I disagree with that. I don't think suicide is that far off for anyone. I think that when you talk to people, when they've interviewed people who have tried to kill themselves, but miraculously survived, I'm not talking about half-assed attempts to kill themselves, like cutting. I'm talking about people who jumped off of, uh, uh, of, a, of a bridge, like this Golden Gate Bridge, and survived. That they said that they didn't plan to do it, that, that it was an impulsive thing, and that the second they jumped off, they regretted it. And so I don't think that Jesus. I don't think that it's this mountain you have to climb to get to. I think it's a pretty I think it's a thing that a lot of people are capable of. So I don't like this idea of sanctifying this suicide in a way where it's like, "Ooh, we can't talk about this because that's so far. It's so, you know, whoa, those people have traveled uh, you know, in that, paths I can't even imagine." I don't think that's, that's not true. That's my motivation. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, okay, to me I disagree just because that's just from my personal stance, sure. right? 
I believe people who say that, right? And I, this is why suicide, suicidal ideation needs to is a critical problem and needs to be handled with urgency and competence. Like saying, you know, saying like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a short step from here to killing myself, um, makes that gap more critical. Then, then it's it is critical to. to to put mechanisms in place to catch people before they yeah, take and, that Yeah, and the more you it's, listen, it's sorry, no, Mark, but the more someone like Mark is saying stuff like, I, I, it's just so, be, or you saying it's so crazy, it's so out there. I'm, that I'm not saying it's a... But, no, but listen, this, if you're someone who has suicidal ideations, what that does is it makes you feel like you're that far along. It makes you feel like you're this far gone, you know? Like, that, and that to me, was it's not, not it's, what I'm saying. So, I don't know. I, I just that, get... I feel like that saying, any barrier okay, around and, discussion and, and, of this to me is really problematic and uh, not helpful. Yeah, this is, I feel like this is, I'm just airing out what uh, stupid 19-year-old me was thinking. You sure, know, in yeah. processing, like, a spate of, like, three suicides that happened on campus in the same, like, school year or something. Like, it's, like, I just didn't have the, I didn't have the tools to think about, so I'm just using my own brain to process, and this is, this is my inner thought process. I'm not right. putting any moral judgment on it, or saying, or saying that I would look at, you know, at the family of a suicide victim and say, well, why didn't, why didn't he do this, or that, or that? Why did he take this step? Like, that's completely separate from that. I'm not casting judgment on these people. Just for me, this is, so I'm identifying the diff the lack of comprehension I have between where I stopped and the actions that these people took. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that um, yeah, that so makes sense. So I don't want to lionize it as a huge as a huge. Uh, for, for me, it feels like a huge remove. Like I don't, I can't fathom who I would have to be and what I'd have to go through to put myself in a place where I would actually undertake an action like that. Um. So, uh, I mean, so I get what you're saying, teen, that you don't want to, like, put them so far off on this remote island that, you know, anybody who's listening who does, who does, you know, have these thoughts feel like, okay, well, they're already at step nine, might as well just go, you know, jump off and get to ten. Yeah, or that, um, or that we are that different from them. That. I don't think that, you know, someone like me is really that different from them. The only difference I think is that uh, I have, a, I have like, a million fuck you uh, fantasies in my head that I'd rather do. <laughs> like, if I really wanted to show up one day and just be like, fuck everything, I'm out. Uh, I'm not... There's a million things I'd do that I've already thought of that wouldn't be jumping out the window. Um, you know and what I mean? And that might be the gap between a socialized experience of depression and anxiety and stress and, like, the actual, like, illness part, right? That could be. If there's any, you know, if there's any mental health professionals in the audience listening to this and rolling their eyes, I would actually love to hear from you on this. Uh, I want to know where that, that gap is between a generalized social dysfunction that we all perceive and internalize in our own way as members of society, um, and that, that gap between the people who actually do uh, experience this as a clinical, a biologically rooted disorder. Yeah, um, I would like maybe to hear that line it too. Is very blurry, so I would like to hear it too, and I guess what I but what I feel is missing is the discussion of the of of most people, right? It's like Yeah. I think I think I think it's obviously important to have a specialized understanding of those who are feeling it at a point where we need, you know, serious hard medical intervention. You know, I'm not talking about people like that. I'm talking about the mass problems. 
because I see that yeah. there's mass problems. And I just don't think that the discussion, that the clinical discussion around really hard cases is really mm -hmm. helping people who are having sort of generalized issues with it. And that's, that's what I'm... We can agree on that, yeah. You know, because I think that yeah. affects more people. If you, if you go to... If you Certainly. as an individual go to seek therapy or seek help, they have to treat this as a as an individual case, right? Um, right. So by nature of that entire process, you are kind of having to deal with this as an individual, um, not as a member of society. So it's, well, it's conversations yeah. that have to happen outside the clinical setting that kind of negotiate what the social boundaries are for this, the terms and rules and and the con the conceptual framework for this. Um, well, yeah, I mean, in clinical in thinking yeah. through, yeah, in, in, I don't think I've ever been clinically depressed. I think I have been depressed. Um, I've been in situations that have triggered, I mean, I, I, there are points where I would have matched all of the uh, line items of the DSM-4. Right. But at the same time, I still have a hard time accepting that I, ha I had something approximating... I, I had clinical depression. I feel like it's very firmly that this was a function of the particular time and place I was in, the particular society I was keeping, mm -hmm. um, that triggered these things. So I'm, so I'm just here to push back on the notion that depression is a monolithic... Uh, thing that requires you to be this thing all the time. It, it, it's right. almost like if you get a depression, a diagnosis of depression, you're only ever going to just be less depressed, right? Maybe you, you, maybe at some at some point you ex exhibit fewer of the DSM four uh, symptoms, or sometimes experience more of them. But yeah, that's completely the fact possible. Is that you're just a less a less symptomatic depressed person, not a person with depression that can come and go. Like, I don't know if there's any model for the second one. Uh, I think that's just like normal life, to be honest. And I think that's the the pushback or the, the change in conversation that people are trying to have. But it's very hard to to do that when sort of the whole medical establishment is is set up for the first part, for the first kind. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to go back to the, the suicidal ideation sort of stuff, like, I, I do agree with you, Teen, that... Um, sort of putting a huge gap between people who have committed suicide and regular quote unquote regular people who haven't um, is is damaging I, I do think that people are closer to it than they would like to admit uh, it could happen to anybody um, you know I'm not trying to stop us from talking about it I just feel like when people say oh you know I, I could do you, so many other things I think it could happen to everybody not anybody it could happen to everybody that's my sure. point. Sure. Yeah. I, I, everybody. I didn't mean to make it seem like it. Yeah. I mean, anybody and everybody. I, I, it, yeah. It could, any one of us. Everybody. Um, I, 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 my, my, my pushback, and it's because I feel like uh, when, and it's not, not you personally, right? I don't, I don't think that you feel this way. But, when, but there are people out there that will say, well, you could do anything. Why would you do this? And it's, it's a judgment. It's uh, it's to it's to further move the conversation past where we need to talk about it, and they and they say like you could do anything, you're selfish, blah blah blah, and that that's sort of where I I, I, I bristle when the conversation no, I, goes I ask to. That, and I think that for myself because I want to know, 
right? Uh, I find it so sad when people, when there are stories of suicide and everyone around is like, oh, I had no fucking idea, right? They seem so happy. They seem together. We were talking. Uh, they really opened up. Uh, so I, I know it's a, I know what the question sounds like and how it can be perceived, but I actually do want to know the answer to that, um, because I care about the people around me. I would like to know yeah. what the difference is. I, I don't um, know what it me, is. Like, but that's a conceptual I, I, gap I can't bridge from my own experience. That's what I'm saying. This is the limit of my own experience. But that I would but, rather do any of these things before I would take this particular step. Yeah, and and I look, Mark. I I am with just on this. I guess for me, it's like I just I just don't think sensitivity is always that as helpful as people think it is. You know, I, I think that a lot of times, I think when we when we're dealing with people who are who are suffering from depression or suicidal ideation or something something like that, we everyone suddenly puts on white gloves because one, they don't want to have any responsibility in what's going on. And two, they mystify what's going on with this person. Like, oh my God, I can't imagine what you're going through. Oh, that's just unimaginable. Oh. And it, it sometimes it makes the person feel like the only thing that they own is this thing. Now it's like, oh, right. I own it and you don't get to understand it. And I have talked with friends who have told me, have come to me with telling me that they have had suicidal thoughts. And uh, I went with my instinct and I was like, you know, I think that's a stupid thought. I mean, this is how I feel about what you're telling me, is I think it's mm -hmm. a stupid thought because I don't think it's going to solve any of your problems. I think I get why you're thinking that, but I think it's not a very imaginative thing to think. I think there's a million things that you could do beyond killing yourself. I mean, that oh are God. equally... You bully them that out are of equally it? Dra that oh are equally God. drastic mm -hmm. and fantastical <laughs> and that are, would probably be more fun to think about than jumping out a window. You know, no, like, and, and I'm not saying that that is not necessary. Okay. I wouldn't tell them that it's stupid, but you can definitely say like, "Well, that." Well, I said it seem... was stupid because I well, think I know that you would. I, said, no, you know what? I know you would because I think well, it, it is look, stupid. It, it is stupid. I don't. So I don't want them to stupid. do it. And if right, he, if well, he did it, I'd okay, be like, here, "That's an idiotic move, dude." Why did you okay. do it? Well, okay. Before, okay. right before that step, it's I don't want you to do it. So yeah, yeah. But I'm coming see, in with a bias here. I don't want you to do that. That's absolutely. I would say that it would be more. Look, yes, I would. I think that it's a stupid thing to do as well. I don't think that it's the right choice. But I would have said, I don't want you to do it because I'm selfish. I don't want you to kill yourself, right? I wouldn't just say you're a stupid person or you're stupid for thinking that. My instinct at that time was that this guy did not need soft advice. He was not coming to me to, 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 that, to get sympathy or whatever. I think he was coming to me because he needed me to tell him what I really thought. Okay. And I owed that to him, right? Like, sure. I, you know, and, and I don't know how, maybe it's, we're just different. Maybe it's just different. But like, to me, when people have sympathy for me, it makes me feel shittier. I, I don't like sympathy. Does it feel too close to pity? It feels like pity. And I don't want pity. I, I want someone to, if I, if I feel like someone really cares about me as a friend or as a family member, that they're going to give it to me straight and they're going to tell me what my responsibilities are and they're going to mm -hmm. tell me how I, I'm, I'm being a fucking moron and they expect better out of me or whatever. Okay. And, and I just don't find sympathy. I, I find sympathy to be an expression of distance and to be a lack of care is how I, is how I interpret sympathy. Okay. Um, maybe that's that's just well, me. I, well, no, that, I that, find a lot of sympathy to me just feels really fake. 
and and uh, well, you know, yeah, but wait, just, it is, it is. Um, it, the other way can be the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's not black and white, right? I mean, you can people can express tough love, but that's distancing for them. Other people can show sympathy, and that's actually. But sympathy Something. is always acceptable, whereas me me telling him he's an idiot is never acceptable. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like that. No, like I, I'm here's still glad where I, I differ. I actually. I'm not saying you shouldn't I don't be glad have you sympathy said it. For, I don't have any sympathy for that line of reasoning that would lead you to take a step like that. I have empathy for the reasons that you may have felt precipitated this decision, but I'm not going to fundamentally validate that by saying, oh, I, I, I get you why you want to do that, because I actually can't. I think it's, it's uh, I, I don't think that's the solution to any problem, any of the problems that people are trying to solve. It's just not. I mean, so it, I, I don't, it's one solution. No one's come to, <laughs> huh? What? It's one solution. It's not the, it's well, not the point, solution. It's, it's like, not the well, best solution. It's one solution. It's like a really, really, really terrible solution compared I, to some I'm, of the other ones. Yes, can... it is. It is, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, but literally, you we're can... Lying, just we're go lying be a bum if we say somewhere. it's not. Go <laughs> be a bum in Costa Rica or something. I don't know. Do, do be a shameful yeah, white I bum. I have sympathy for the problems you're facing that would lead you, that lead you to, the, to the psychological crisis point. I have no sympathy for the proposed solution. Sure, I don't either. Right. Um, so that's because it's not it's not like, as simple like, as just killing yourself, right? You're leaving a lot of people in your wake, and you hurt a lot of people. I, I don't in the even process. think that that even comes into the picture until well, until not, a little not later. For, I think not just, for them. I'm just saying in general. It's like, well, also, I think you're going to regret it. I think your... I think as you as you well, bleed yeah. out or whatever, or you're hanging from the rope. I think you're going to be like, "Fuck! I shouldn't have done this." That's I really honestly yeah. think like it's not well oh, thought yeah, out. Yeah, and, yeah. The se- and the second you hit but the point like, of no return, you're going to regret it. If there's a way to solve, yeah, it, there's that. And I mean, obviously, we never know because, well, you know. Well, um, yeah. But if there's any way to solve the problem and you actually get to live to enjoy it, well, okay, we'll come. T- we'll we'll talk that out. We're going to exhaust all of those options first. Do you get? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think yes. this is why yes. these yes. questions You have to seem... go through a lot of steps to really be like, you know what? You know what? There are truly suicidal people that, that are truly committed to it. And I think that to get there, you've got to go through a lot of steps before, you're, before you know that that's really for you. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that the impulsive thing, the impulsive thinking is, I, it should be met, I think, with a little bit of hard-assedness. <laughs> You know, I think I think you got to go through a lot of steps before you're really like convinced that that's the right thing for you. It's not it's not for everyone, is my point. Yes, uh, that sounds yeah. that sounds like a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean. Uh, I don't think I don't think just anyone is really up for the task. Uh, that's a pretty for someone to, to for someone to really want to do it, like honestly want to do it and not regret it, and not at the last minute realize that this was a huge fucking mistake. Uh, that person indeed is really far out there. That person is really far out there, but I think it takes a lot to get there. That is not a very common thing. Yeah, and this is the process yeah. of teasing out, uh, teasing out where on this on this spectrum this person is. Yeah. So I I'm not I'm not a big fan of hiding behind, uh, uh, like the thick wall of of uh, sympathy that yeah. gets pulled up around this subject, because I want to actually fish them back out. Yeah, I mean, like when you talk when you what I'm saying is like if you're talking to people, for example, who are chronically ill or they're terminally ill, 
and they yeah. want out. They want they want to they they can't take the pain anymore. They don't want to go through the treatment, and they want um, to fly to the Netherlands for euthanasia, or they want to be put in hospice care. They want to they want mm-hmm. out. That they earned that, you know. They earned that. They that's a process that I that I respect that. Um, but the mm-hmm. ideation stuff and and the the impulsive stuff, like my friend, like I was like, you're not even close to being someone that should be killing themselves. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, no. We're talking about the lowest you don't have any just, There's no here. justification here, dude. You know, like you're not even close. Like this is this yeah, is we're just, talking. This is almost. This is almost self indulgent, um, maybe. Indul- it's almost self-indulgent. It yeah. is. And I was kind of angry at like I was like I can't believe you even said this. Honestly, this is ridiculous. Um, and he, you know, it, it wasn't a problem after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, there are cases where I, I you actually, solved it. I, I actually do feel a little angry about this. Like yeah, uh, like several years ago, there was a there was a suicide. Um, it was a it was a man. Uh, I think he was in his like mid forties. Uh, some bad business decisions uh, left him like severely in debt. He had a family, uh, all of that, and he committed suicide to get out of yeah, it. Yeah, well, yeah, that's. And a... part of me was, like, I, fe- I, 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 I understand, you know, the pressure he was under, but fuck, you left a family high and dry. Well, that's over that's this. what I was. T- that's what I was saying. Right. I mean, it, there's always. So I think it's it's legitimate to. Uh, there is some amount of censure I'm willing to put on situations like that. Like, how fucking dare you do that to people you you were supposed to take care of? Yeah, for sure. This didn't solve anything. I mean, I don't... So people were like, well, like life insurance... Life insurance doesn't pay out if you commit suicide. That's true, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. That's why there... <laughs> um, people will come up with all these sorts a, of scams, yeah. And, I mean, I feel for those... Uh, for especially young people who commit suicide... Um, and they do it and it seems like, you know, if they leave behind like a note or something, it seems like, it seems like they do this as to finally enjoy some amount of social validation. Like they were so far outside the pale of acceptable, you know, society that they felt they did this to, as a means to get back in, in some way. Um, so part of the, so I kind of want to deconstruct that whole, like, uh, lionization of of uh, of suicide, particularly for those pe- for those people. Like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think most most people are not sort of at the end of their rope uh, in terms of all their options, right? I think there are some, right? I mean, obviously, like we're talking I mean, about hopes people. Not if it's. I'm sorry. If it turns into a mass thing, then I, I mean, yes. if suicide turns into a mass thing, then we. There do seem we'll, to be. Yeah, but you know off. why? But you know, okay. Here's here's what I'm saying. This is why I'm bringing this up, and and how it relates back, uh, to to our original conversation about depression, is that the reason people think that they're at the end of the rope is because they don't have any autonomy. They don't know what autonomy feels like. They don't realize that they can make choices. They, it, the only thing that they can imagine is I have to do what I'm doing now and I'll never stop doing this unless I cease to exist. And they yeah. can't imagine other forms of existence. And the, the, the suicidal thought, I think, is a lazy attempt to stop what it is that's happening to you in your current life. It's this. Sure. It's what you think of when you don't have autonomy. And I think that's why suicidal ideation and depression go hand in hand is because it's about, you know, you, your dissatisfaction with your social role, the lack of autonomy that you have in terms of changing that role, and therefore the only option is suicide. 
And that's why you get those fantasies. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, and whether, look, I have no fucking medical training or whatever. I'm just saying that that's my experience with it, in, both in terms of my own feelings of being stuck and understanding when people have suicidal thoughts is kind of like, well, or get, not getting out of bed. As in, to me, is kind of a like a it's it's kind of in line with the suicidal ideation of just like, well, what if I just didn't get up, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that yeah, the ultimate opt like opting out. I'm in some, fully in some opting way. out. The you know the I John went, Lennon opting out. I went know? through periods like, of that. So uh, look, part I, yeah. of part of my part of my anger and part of my pushback here is because it's a personal attack on things I did, right? And I'm not attacking it. I'm trying to explain no, it and no. understand it. No, but it is. It's an attack. Okay, it's fine. Um, but part of it is like, oh, yeah, I do agree. It's a, it's a, it was a lazy thing to do. Like I stayed in bed. It, it's like I was being a loser. So like I, I, part of me is like, yeah, I do beat myself up. But I'm over not that. saying you're a loser. I'm saying that it, that it's a lack of autonomy. I'm not. See, that's no, but, exactly. But my I point. did. But I did I'm have not autonomy. Judging, I'm not judging but, you for lack of will. I, but I did have fact, autonomy. I could have done people, a lot of fact, different I think things. The, in fact, I think the people who do who end up like that, it's an excess of will. You see what I'm saying? Like it's an excess of commitment <laughs> to this one thing and, and, and feeling like there is no there's That's is a no nice way to put it, but okay. Well, it's, it's one way to put the same thing, but I think it is an overcommitment to something and to say, I can never quit. I can never change. I can never admit defeat. Which is false. And, you know, I could, I could change. I just didn't want no, to see, deal with the consequences see, for act, doing those things. The act of doing that is actually like the first step to a rebellion, right? By opting out, by not participating in this thing that you have potentially overvalued uh, in your own life, uh, you are kind of saying "fuck you." Yes, yeah, yes. in a, in a yes. very childish way. But yeah, the, the, sure. The, 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 the best the best speech that I've ever seen online about I'll link it I'll link it in the show notes. I love this speech. It was a TED talk. It was by a, it was by a surgeon uh, who suffered uh, unbelievable amounts of depression in his life. He said it was just crippling. And he actually said that um, he was making a case for electroshock therapy. That electroshock therapy actually got him out of the... Yeah, the, that's coming the, back the, in vogue. Yeah. Uh, or, and he uh, said, like, but much more studied and like done, you know, much more clinical yeah. way. But you know what yeah. he said at the end? He said what happened was electroshock therapy didn't cure it. He still felt depressed, except that when things got really bad, he was able... A, a thought sparked in his head and, it, and he said, and it was, fuck it. He said that that is the thought that comes into his head that saved him was fuck it, just just fuck it, and it was a quit. It's the quit mechanism. It's the ability to quit and say fuck it. And uh, you know, I think a lot of a lot of Asian American high achieving students have been inculcated by their parents and by society and by whatever it is by their peers above first and foremost. Um, and by the, unbelie the, un the, 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 you know, the unbelievable amount of hurdles that we have to jump through to get there, that we cannot say fuck it. Like, we train ourselves and define ourselves by our, mm -hmm. in a, like our, 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 our refusal to quit. So I don't think I'm, I'm impugning, you know, the, the, if you said that you are going through this, I don't think that it has anything to do with you being lazy. I think it's that you just had an, you actually had an inability to quit. And so you couldn't fathom what that would look like. And so the closest well, thing yeah, is, well, yeah. like, just won't get out of bed. So I, well, I don't also, have to deal with... Yeah, it's not fathoming the, I mean, what that it could look like. It's, just, it's, not, it's not wanting to deal with the consequences of it. Right, so it's like right, I, could but, see, I could see what other options would look like, but I didn't either 
want those things or if I wanted them, I didn't want to deal with the consequences of getting to that place. So, you know, well, and someone, eventually if someone is listening to this and they feel that way. I, I, I am not attacking that person. I'm just saying that 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 you have to question your commitment to something, not your lack of commitment to something. That that's that's I think what the problem is. It's not that you're not sufficiently committed to to solving your problem. It's that you may be overcommitted to the life that is bringing you this problem. You're overcommitted mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. and that way I don't think you should feel bad about yourself. I think you should maybe question whether you've been too good, in a way, you know. And 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 if anything that that marks Asian Americans, it's 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 being too model. It's being too good, uh, and and that would be consistent with that you know like i said the 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 depression does not hit it seems to hit those people that shouldn't have any problems you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know i have to add one thing that makes it worse and isolating is uh assuming that you're alone in this yeah there's a lot of pressure that predisposes people to think like but i mean like take it from from us three it's everywhere you're not alone if you're feeling like oh, I've this. struggled with it yeah. my entire life. I mean, my yeah. entire life has yeah. been feeling like I'm in a fucking straitjacket and dealing with that fact. Yeah. You know, I just don't, I just never, I just never thought of that as a problem with me because I like, I took Jess's advice of never assuming I was alone because I looked around me and I was like, everyone looks just like me. And I think at, I assumed that everyone suffered the same way I suffered. And, and later it turned out that they were. So I never felt alone. And I think that really did help me. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing. No, it's a very important step. Yeah. Cause you're not, I def- you're, not I just, definitely- you're not, not just alone. You're experiencing something that everyone experiences. Right. It's not, right. oh, there's a lot of us. No, it's everyone. But, right. And, so. well, and I'm, yeah, actually, and I'm just, yeah. I mean, I have a personal anecdote on this one. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I was I was very I, I was very victim to thinking like there was something just so freaking wrong with me alone. Everyone else around me was right. getting good grades, heading into great lives. Why was I struggling like this? Me too. Me too. Um, yeah, and I actually remember um, uh, sitting at the doctor's office for a th- for you know a session, and this is while I was still you know wrongly in treatment for mm. depression and I was going crazy from that. Uh, I just happened to see a magazine cover uh, with David Chang's face on it. And this was right, you know, this was about, you know, a little over 10 years ago mm. uh, when he was first, you know, he was the the wonderkind of, you know, the New York City culinary scene. Right. And I remember feeling such, and I picked it up and read it and I read the profile on it. I remember feeling such like visceral rage at mm. this, at this guy. Right, like this, this, um, like he's Korean American, second generation, just like me, uh, and he's able to do all of this, and I'm, I'm sitting here just a, a freaking mess. I know mm. that feeling right? for like, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, we all feel that. So mm-hmm. wrong, um, just so wrong, um, and so I mean, I, I, I got over that. You know, I support him and his career. I just, I remember just how intense that rage and that, that, that fear was. Mm-hmm. When I just, when I flipped, and this was my first, uh, this was the first time I ever encountered this guy's face or his name or anything that he's done. Um, so, uh, so you didn't even know anything about really, him. It was just sort of like the yeah. fact that he was. And it's like, oh, f- so I, I saw an Asian face on the cover and like, oh, fuck. Yeah, let's, let's see, yeah. let's see what this uh, brilliant genius is doing for the, oh, yeah, he's <laughs> the darling of the culinary. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he's, he's doing, he's killing it. Awesome. He's got everything uh, you want. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so it was actually very personally moving. Last year, you know, in the aftermath of uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain's suicide, he yeah. released a podcast uh, specifically on, on his own struggle with mental health. And for me, that was that was like like the ground moved <laughs> under my feet in terms of my mental conception of like of the people around me. Just this person that I had, it's no fault of his. It's not like he ever, he ever presented himself as, uh, uh, as anything but himself, right? Uh, just this person that I had constructed in my head to be this infallible, like this example of the perfect, um, person, this perfect Asian American person in, in American society was revealing his own struggle like that in a way that I was able to, like, identify with and understand at a very personal level. Um, that was, that was very moving for me. To know that, you know, uh, it's, it's people across all levels of accomplishment, success, fame, economics, it's it's everywhere. Uh, and you should be able to identify, you should be able to, uh, maybe it's not, you can be, the, you're not alone. That's just the basic point of it. Um, it's, uh, and I guess I say that to kind of t bring people out into, into the open more, to re realize that they're not just fucked up in the head, that this is a shared, if it's a pathology, it's a shared one. That doesn't make it normal, it doesn't make it okay, it doesn't mean that there's nothing you need to do particularly to yourself to self-flagellate and dig yourself sure. deeper into the hole. Uh, so maybe you want to, maybe make the attempt to reach out to other people, you know, that you know, in your family or something. Um, I'm not saying that the stigma isn't real. It's definitely out there. So, you know, you, you should, you should be careful, of course, but chances are if you, if you keep your eyes open and you keep, uh, and you are looking and you try to connect with someone, they'll respond back and you'll have more, you'll realize you guys had more in common than you thought you did. And I think there's real power in that too. Yeah. I know I, things you know, for me, like, personally have changed. Uh, like, once I started, like, talking about this stuff, it really has changed how I relate to people around me. You know, I, I, as you say this about David Chang, I, 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 it's, it's making me understand a little bit about why I think Mark and I had a, 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 a contentious exchange. Not, not just this <laughs> podcast, but before about this. And I'll tell you why. I think the reason is because... It's the same reason why Jess assumed that there was a huge gap of difference between him and David Chang. That it, it that she assumed that there was a difference in that sort of mental health, mental suffering sort of dimension. Mm -hmm. That I think that I felt you were assuming between you and me. Because I will readily admit I've never been depressed. I've never been treated for it. But that doesn't... I think that we are actually a lot closer than you think. That's and probably true. There, yeah. there is a need, I think. And I, I'm not, again, this is, I think this is similar to what Jess was feeling at that time. So, again, this is not a personal attack. I think that this is something that people do. This is just something people do. And I'm just hoping that we can try and maybe break the pattern a little bit is stop assuming that you have so much distance with people that you think your suffering is unique to you and they don't get it. And even if they say they've never suffered from depression or they've never been treated for it, but you have, that that makes them somehow unrelatable and qualitatively different and that what they have to say about stuff doesn't matter to you or is invalid. What you have to say is more authentic. That is a kind of distance that I think just boxes you in. It, 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 you paint yourself into a corner because you fail to recognize that your problem is present almost everywhere you look right. around right. you. 
And, and likewise, uh, for anybody trying to distance themselves by saying, oh, I've never had depression, I don't, I don't fucking know, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it like, is. I think everyone... It really is. It, and that's a bullshit move, and they should be called out for that. Like, if you well, are if yeah. you are an adult of, of sound mind in the, in society, there is some pervasive level of, of un- discomfort that you have. This is just a baseline signal that everyone has. You should be able to relate. You claiming you can't relate, that's you're full of shit. Right. And you're trying and to elevate right. yourself and I don't over think, the backs of people who yeah. are being more open about their struggles. Right. And I don't think Teen was saying that he hadn't felt those sort of feelings. I think um, because we have to sort of try to, I think, separate the word depression from the, the from what you're describing, Jess. Because everyone has felt those sort of, uh, you know, felt off or they felt, uh, uh, you know, a malaise or they felt a, a discomfort. Um and I, I think when I heard, when I hear teen or others say, I've never been depressed, um, that will trigger like, well, that uh, you mean you've never felt these other things? And they'll be like, oh, I have. I'm like, well, then you have felt, you know, you, you can relate to me. So um, I think that's what I sort uh, yeah, of triggers. I, 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 yeah, let's clarify. When we that, use that word this depression. Is the of the conversation yeah. that we're having is I want to convey what I meant by that yeah. is I've never been... I've never met the definition of depressed. Right. I, I've never been diagnosed with it. I've never been encouraged to seek help for it. I've never felt the need to, to do it. I've never sure. felt the need to take medication. I've always never had the dysfunction. And yet I completely get it. Right, right. And and I think that that means for me, if, I'm, if I present as a pretty normal, healthy individual in society, that that means I think that your average, normal, healthy individual in society can relate a lot more to those problems than depressed people think. Yes, and, and that brings people closer together. It brings it closer. Yeah, and I and I think that I would actually go a long way in solving, you know, or or ameliorating depression rates, is if people stopped trying to distance themselves from it. Yes, and you know, quote healthy people like me often do that. I think we often, you know, this is what I was saying was like I I've been told that I'm immune to depression, but yet I completely understand it, and I think it's something that I should talk about with people. Uh, for my own benefit and for theirs, um, it's it's just not recognized that people who don't feel depressed have anything useful to say about it, and that's on them and, and, as much as yeah. on others. And that's I, bad. That's, yeah. it, sometimes even more on them because yeah. they're such yeah. positivity assholes. That that's that's true. That's true. And and, and I know like when we were talking about the suicide and stuff. Like I sort of pushed back on the conversation and. And and you know it, it does make me uncomfortable, and I I have to examine why that makes my, makes me uncomfortable. But it doesn't serve, I think, society at large to sort of just treat it always with kid gloves, right? Sometimes we need to say things and be honest about how we feel about it, so we can get through it and t- actually talk about what causes it. And and not all it that can't be done if we're just sort of like, oh, okay, I have never felt that way, or I've never done it, or I'm not close to anyone who's done it, so I can't talk about it. So you know. I, it's an instinct I have just because I don't I want to avoid being seeming like an asshole. But sometimes <laughs> you need to be seen as an asshole, you know, like, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's just if for these things were there's such a wall around it again, back to isolation, um, like everyone has thought has at least thought through like the concept of suicide as it applies to themselves. Of course. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. Right? of course. Uh, so I don't think there's any shame in just saying that, yes, I have thought... I, no, I didn't think of doing it. I have thought about it. It's like, uh, it's and like this contemplating is, mortality. That's all, you know. Right. 
Yeah. Of course you have. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, uh, I think what we just did right now is just kind of said out loud what we just all thought in our own heads and then moved on. Uh, and the lack of that conversation is, is what for, and people trying to be a little bit played cautious. This is why we have a culture of, you know, thoughts and prayers as opposed That's to true. anything yeah. resembling constructive, like constructive questioning or constructive dialogue for creation or anything like that. Uh, it, there's just such an air of, uh, sanctimony around it. Yeah. Um, that everyone just stays on the, the quote, correct side of it. Um, but I, I, I don't think that there is a person, uh, there, there is not a single person who can't, who should not be able to relate, uh, to what we're talking about. Maybe if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Silver, um, platinum. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin spoon in your mouth. Um, That's like, right. uh, silver's cheap. Maybe those, but, uh, but if you're, if you're roughly, if you're a working adult in this society, yeah, you, you, you generally know what we're talking about. You might yeah, be more yeah. or less okay with yeah, it. Yeah. So it's a, I think it's a matter of degree. It's not a matter of whether you have... It's not a binary. It's right. just where on a broad spectrum you happen to fall. And where right. you fall does not invalidate anyone above or below uh, to either side of you on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think the instinct to, to try to sort of protect the place, your place on that spectrum and your primacy in the conversation because of the limited attention or sort of how power has worked in society... Um, can be a little, it can be, uh, it can stunt the conversation and, and, and growth on sort of understanding of, you know, depression yeah. and stuff like that. But, it, you know, it's a natural instinct um, that, you know, I, we have to try, I, I try to fight against at least when, you know, when we have it, these that, conversations. That place on the spectrum may not necessarily, it's not like preordained for no, you. No, of course not. It yeah. might, you might, it might fluctuate quite a bit. That was my experience. I could go yeah. from hitting every single bullet point in the DSM-4 definition of depression all the way to completely happy, normal, right. et cetera, right? right? My conception of happy and normal, right? I think we do have a problem with triangulating that signal because, again, we are encouraged to think of our, this position as static, yeah. and we also think we're alone. So we basically... Our concept, if we think we're depressed as an abnormal, our conception of normal is what we think about somebody else, probably the people around you. That's if everyone true. else yeah. around you seems a certain way, you're going to assume that that is the baseline for normal. And right. chances are people are putting up a much better face uh, for the public than they actually feel inside. So I think that, that that widens the gap, too. Yeah. But for me, like, I, it was a matter of finding the place on this, you know, in society where I could, where I could find, um, where I could pick the level of depression I, I I could accept being in, really. Like, there's no there's no real, like, true, like, nirvana or happiness. But I no, can pick, there, like, I, what, I would put it yeah. this, I would what put anxieties it that, and depression. Oh, sorry, on that point, I, I, I just want to jump in because I, I was just thinking about that point as you were talking about. Uh, you know, it, I've been working for uh, – I've been working, you know, in, in law for, you know, 15-plus years now. Uh, I, worked in, I worked in engineering prior to that. I've been I've been doing this like upper middle class bullshit for a long time. I'll tell you what. I think that there are very few truly well adjusted people. When you get to know people really closely, everyone has problems with what's going on. Nobody yeah. is happy. Uh, there are a few people who are, uh, and those people are usually the strangest, most poorly adjusted people. I think to be a well adjusted human being today requires that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, a, a certain amount of depressive anxiety 
because the world is not set up properly for you as, as right. uh, for us as as human beings it's not it's just not and if you conform to it too easy too well that there actually is something wrong with you in an emotional sense and i think that there is actually we could get into this at some other you know i think there actually is evidence of that that people who have really bad that have kind of you know abnormal emotional constitutions Mm-hmm. Tend to t- sometimes actually get ahead and do really well a, a lot of times in, in yeah. corporate environments. It, it kind of promotes pathology. So I think that a, a healthy modern human being should feel a bit unhealthy. Yeah, which is right. So I I would I I would start. I would there. totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Jess, if that's kind of consistent with what you're trying to say there, or that absolutely is. Yeah. Like, okay, I think there's a problem right now with, with like the whole wellness trend. You mm. know, people are chasing a conception of perfect happiness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That doesn't exist. And it's really In fact, damaging. If you're perfectly happy, <laughs> uh, you're fucked up. Um, yeah. Like it just doesn't. Ex- the most you can you can do for yourself is is use your is use agency and choice to pick what bundle of anxieties and uh, and concerns and problems you have in your life yeah. right you're never going to eliminate them all you're just you can but you can pick different kinds of problems right right um and i think the, the and just having a clear head and going about that and just going about making that happen i think just it says a lot about it does a lot for mental health because you've made that choice that these are sacrifices you're willing to make, these are the compromises you're willing to live under, etc. But you're not chasing this goal of perfect happiness that uh, that Instagram likes to sell, you know? Right. Yeah, Definitely. I think this is a topic that we should hammer, that we should hit a lot more uh, <laughs> over, you know, in the future. Because no, I, I, just think it, I just think uh, it's just a huge... It's it's so everyone can relate to this problem. It is not a problem that is uh, pathological. It is not a problem that's clinical. I think it's just it's a cultural problem and a human problem. It's not, you know, yeah. no one is exempted from this across, at all. So um, it cuts yeah. across a lot of identity boundaries. This isn't a, a racialized problem. This is not a gendered problem. There yeah. are dimensions of race and gender that do add particular, like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 yeah. that, that is huge. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's very that's true. Huge. Yeah. yeah. James but Baldwin, there was, are, a, like, there was a clip of James Baldwin online that, that went viral recently saying that he, as, you know, this, this uh, black man growing up in, um, during segregation and uh, during the civil rights movement, that he realized that you know a lot of the struggle in his life a lot of what made him feel um like dehumanized a lot of what made him feel singled out and victimized uh once he started to go deeper into that and explore that that's the bridge that connected him with other people right so a lot of the times it's the negativity in your life that serves as a bridge Especially when you're living in a pathological society like we do, mm-hmm. uh, right? It, it, the only authentic way to experience society now, to me, is to criticize it. And so we got to be able, comfortable sharing criticisms and self, you know, un- unhappiness and maladjustment with each other, and understand that that's the only and most healthy way for us to connect with each other, right? Yeah. If we yeah. if we do what 
Jess was pointing out, this wellness thing, this Instagram thing, this achievement thing. If we feel oh. that the healthy way to connect with each other is through the sharing of what's all that's great and healthy about ourselves, that's a very fake kind of socialization these days right. because we have a very fucked up society. Well, it's been it's been commercialized and commoditized and... Yeah, totally. if all you're doing yeah. is sharing about how wonderful life is and how great your vacation was and how wonderful your job is and how you know beautiful your children are and how you know whatever, you're, that's not your friend. You got you guys right. are in a, some sort of like weird social social battle with each other. Right, right. That's right. what IG is. It's this FOMO battle. It's like you know making people feel like shit because you did better than them. Well, it's the rat race digitized, right? Yeah. And, and the only, to me right now, but when you're in a situation where society's pathological and fucked up, as it is now, and I don't think there's any debate about that, um, that the only real conversation you can have with someone who's that's truly peer to peer, that's truly pro social, is um, is a critical conversation where you discuss these things about what is wrong. You know. Um, anyway. All right. Well, so um, <laughs> we're another, at like another, what a, what a wonderful a, uplifting episode, <laughs> uh, where we agreed on everything. But um, no, yeah. you know, was, uh, this is a great episode. Um, let's. Uh, we're at like two hours and sixteen minutes now around. Wow. Um, so it'll be another marathon one. Um, thank you. I'm your host, um, Mark. Uh, I don't know, Jess, if you have any, he had any last thoughts you wanted to add. Uh, not much. I think uh, I think two hours of talking it out really uh, it, it did it for me. <laughs> That's um, better. But just final just note, you like, feel better. Uh, yes, <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. yeah, she does. Now See? it's like I it's on too. the audience. Like now, it's, you guys have to deal with it now. Yeah, um, I, I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I got to yell at you, um, so, so I feel better too. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but this one, I, I would like to hear from the audience on this one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, please, please. Um, so if you're struggling with anything or just want to talk it out, you know, you want to or correct start. us, yell at us. Or completely us, disagree uh, with us. Yeah, you're always welcome to compliment us, of course. <laughs> um, but if you, just just reach out. Say hi. Um, we'd love to hear. Like, if uh, if you felt we were off base on something, if anything struck a particular chord, uh, I, I, I genuinely would like to, to understand um, uh, how this... How this uh, how this uh, particular pod reached people. 